so stupid, he comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! For the first time, I can truly say Danny Pedrosa makes history. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Welcome to episode 50, I want to say 7 at this point. 7. 7? Yeah, 7. There we go. 7. Beautiful. That, that was real professional of us there. Yeah, episode 57 of Motorsport 101. Shut up, you sarcastic git, Johnson. Uh, <laughs> but uh, as ever, we, we are on live. Well, not live, really, but still, we're recording this live <laughs> on uh, September He's been away one week and he's having an absolute shocker. <laughs> <laughs> oh man like I, I spent the last five minutes roasting King for like the one time he had his old show and he did like nine <laughs> intros to before he got one right and this is how I come in immediately and completely make a Horlix of this one well well done Drake well done <laughs> Pat on the back, gold star. <laughs> but uh, welcome to episode 57 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighbour, that's Mr. Andre Harrison. With me, as ever, Mr. Adam Johnson. Don't mind me, I'm just casually holding the fort down over here. Yeah, he held the show last week on his own. I was very impressed. Um, it's the most it's the most dedicated Johnson's ever been to this show. I'm very proud of him. And Can I just uh, <laughs> say, it was very strange doing the whole, just sat there like, okay, we're recording. Dre, time for your, oh. Guaranteed then, uh, to do that. This sounds weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, th- just, I think I even accidentally ended up copying your sayonara at the end of the show. <laughs> you stole my ending catchphrase. <laughs> I was going to say, as soon as I uh, hit the stop button, I'm like, copyright infringement. I, I, I should sue the shit out of you right now. <laughs> yeah, but you wouldn't because you wouldn't have had a show last week. Yes, yes, that is also true. You've earned a reprieve just this once. Um, And in the other corner, as usual, Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Yes, yes, glad to have you back. Uh, Even though last night I threatened to quit. (laughs) You threatened to quit because I posted GIFs of Hope Solo. How how is this ever considered a bad thing? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop taking it out of context. You threatened to kill me every week and then you merely make King quit. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. Well, feel free to provide the full context then, King, if, if you're so inclined. <laughs> you called... I'm getting you, the popcorn out. You, you called using the pre- the prevent defense in American football for cowards. So, out of that reference, you know, to Hope Solo's loss against Sweden... Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, okay, Hope Solo. <laughs> <laughs> Even though, King, you are secretly madly in love with Hope Solo because she winked at you in that parade after the World Cup. <laughs> and I wouldn't say madly. It's like I would say if it was like one out of ten, it would be like a two. <laughs> Oh, oh, right. It's like, oh, word. Okay, King. If, if you insist. Motorsport nice 101 officially has become Schoolyard Crush 101. Oh, my God. Yep. Yes, it has. She winked at him in his heart King went fluttering. King and Solo sitting in a tree. Shut up. I only fancy a two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When you wave at Hope Solo and Megan Klingenberg and only Hope Solo, Hope Solo thinks you're waving at her. Yeah. Although, after her recent comments last week, I suddenly have developed a massive love interest in Megan Rapinoe. Props to her. Right. 
Anyway, on this week's episode of the podcast, we'll be talking about MotoGP at Misano as Danny Pedrosa, as I said in the intro, made history by having MotoGP's eight, eighth different winner in the last eight rounds. And why I'm not actually all that impressed by it. We'll be talking about Valentino Rossi and Jorge Lorenzo scrapping in the press box once again. Third time this week. I know I'm, I'm as surprised as you are. We'll be talking about Moto2 actually being the best race of the weekend as Lorenzo Baldassari broke his duck and got his first win on a very special occasion there at Masano. So yeah, not the home win you were expecting, huh? Huh? And, and we'll also be talking about Moto3 as Brad Binder beats Enea Bastinini in a one-on-one showdown and pretty much guarantees the Moto3 title. We'll be talking about the state of play in Moto3 going forward in that one as well. We'll be talking more about IndyCar's silly season because we've heard yet more rumours pipe up about, about the direction of where half the field could be heading in 2017. And... Oh, as I'm sure we'll allude to a little bit in the, uh, in the Keeping It 101 segment coming up very soon, Ed Jones winning the Indy Lights title last night in controversial fashion. Can you say multi-21? Um, so we'll be talking about that, all the elements in that's concerned. We'll be talking about Liberty Media a little bit more and their buyout of Formula One after their purchase and some of their plans that they're unveiling um, to take Formula One forward into the 21st century in 2016. But hey... Who's counting, right? And we'll be talking all about your questions in the listener mailbag. So if you want to find all of us, we are all on Twitter. I am at Harrison101HD. Adam is on Adam AJ underscore Bundersport. Bundersports. God, I'm, I'm all over the place today. <laughs> I, can't even, I can't even do Twitter right today. Jesus. Adam underscore Bundersports. Yeah, you see, Adam Blunderbuss Bundersport. That's sub account. Yes, of course, of course. Um, AJ underscore Bomber Sports is his account, and Ryan Eric King is at Ryan Eric King. Um, that's with two Ks. And our show now actually has, for the first time, an official Twitter account. We are so <sighs> modern. Yes, we like we, we have our social media updated at the same rate that F1 does in terms of their actual sport. Uh, but if you want to follow us, the personal account on Twitter um, for the podcast itself, we are at motorsport underscore 101 follow us on there I do most of the tweeting on there, it's very witty and hilarious and you will, and you will absolutely definitely enjoy us, probably maybe, um, also if you like us on YouTube uh, if you like us on YouTube, you can subscribe at youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 we're almost at a thousand subscribers you guys it's, 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 it's pretty crazy <laughs> Um, last time I thought we were at 977 right now, and we have a brand new gaming series coming up on there very, very soon. Probably, it'll probably already be out by the time you're listening to this show. That's what I will say. Um, let's just say I have to dust off the old capture card one more time. Something I didn't think I'd be doing <laughs> nine months ago, but hey, <laughs> shit changes around here. <laughs> yep, living that <laughs> kind of retiring life. Semi, se- I was in semi-retirement. I went full Michael Schumacher. Just uh, <laughs> like the the money was the money was too great. I couldn't help it. Uh, the ad revenue was far that too YouTube appealing. money, man. That YouTube money, <laughs> YouTube dollars. Uh, get that YouTube money. But uh, yeah, we'll be we'll be we'll, we'll be back on that very very soon. And if you really really like us, you may want to back us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport one hundred and one. You can back us on there. There's some really cool perks on there, like potentially shout outs, potentially getting to the show as early access, and even some merchandise opportunities out there for you guys as well. So stay tuned on that. Um, so yeah, if you like us, you can back us on Patreon as well. But now. Let's kick off the show with Keeping It 101. 
Keeping It 101 this week. And uh, I know that a certain Johnson was very eager to talk about something on this on this week's episode. So, Johnson, go ahead. What's your, what's your Keeping It 101 for the week? <laughs> well, I mean, mine's kind of the least serious because it's not really based in any serious, like news thing it was just and and everyone's gonna be like yeah yeah it's gonna be nascar at richmond the chase isn't it well it's not so fuck you um, <laughs> it's not, nothing oh, okay, to do with I'm nascar sorry. at all actually <laughs> <laughs> but um i just thought it was funny last week by the way how i was like oh people are gonna expect me to talk about nascar seeing as i'm hosting the show this week and i was like i'm, I'm gonna try not to i'm gonna try not oh shit the first story is a nascar story <laughs> but um well done, Johnson. Well done. Utterly just true to, not true, true, to for, true to form as ever. <laughs> hey man, I'm 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 typecast at this point. I'm like I'm like the late Alan Rickman and bad guys. It's just it's the thing. Um but <laughs> this week I just saw I mean this is kind of a light-hearted way to start the show because mm. I saw an article on WTF1, <clears throat> excuse me, earlier, and they listed it was, you know, your standard listicle, you know, five five ways CM Punk's UFC debut could have gone worse one right. through five being it couldn't have um and i'm the guy who likes cm punk in here so but he it, they did an article about blah, 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 blah. it was the five tracks that should be made yeah, five video game tracks that should be made in real life and mm-hmm. the five they picked weren't bad but I think we can do better, chaps. So I was right. advocating that we put that forward. I'm just going to find the list myself. It's so right now we're getting into the five tracks that five it's video game tracks that should be made in real life. Oh, I see. Yes, that, okay, that need to be made in real life. So here's the list. I've just found it here. Their list is they start off well. Grand Valley Speedway from the Gran Turismo series. Yes. Yeah. Great start. Uh, Mills Metro Park from R Factor, which looks a little bit like Imola to me. Okay. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. Um, you guys should be familiar with this one. Prague from Forza 5. Oh, God. <laughs> and I think 6 as well. Is it in 6? It's, uh, yeah, it's in 6. It's in 6. Yeah, it's in 6. It is in 6, yeah, because I've recognised that one. Uh, <laughs> the wittily titled Sunob from Formula 197. Literally, the title is Bonus in Reverse. <laughs> I see what they did there. <laughs> and oh, here's, here's a rarity. Here's a niche one. The Egypt circuit from Jacques Villeneuve's Racing Vision, i.e. <laughs> the game that explains why Jacques Villeneuve's name never turned up in the F1 games. What the hell? <laughs> Have you ever heard of Jacques Villeneuve's Racing Vision? No, never. <laughs> it looks absolute crap, and this track kind of looks like a Mario Kart reject. So it's kind of like a descending order of, yeah, good choice of Grand Valley, and then, yeah, meh, yeah, what? So, hence why I think we can do better, chaps. Any, so, any suggestions real quick, then? I have a couple in mind. Most of mine are probably from Gran Turismo, I'm not going to lie to you. But, um, <laughs> mine too, to be them, honest. So. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> Actually, there's one from the... Uh, well, specifically from NASCAR 07, and I can never remember the name of it. So, if one of you two wants to lead off of your lists... I'll get it checked off for you. Okay, okay, guys. Well, mine is from the okay, critically acclaimed, the the, <laughs> criti- the critically acclaimed series Mario Kart Rainbow oh. Road. It's 2016. <laughs> God damn it! We can't make a Rainbow Road in real life. Why do we even have space programs? True. I mean, to be fair, <laughs> I want Rainbow Road. Thing now. <laughs> No, no, to be Drone fair, racing though, is like, a thing now. So, no, to be fair, hang on. This is an important question. Which Rainbow Road? 
That's a lot over the years. Oh, I, I want to say the original N64 one with, like, no guardrails. We're like, <laughs> where you wish there was runoff area. Hang on a minute. Are you sure? Like, we don't want to lose Jolie and Palmer that quickly, do we? <laughs> <laughs> no? Um, like, the, the, N64, the N64 one was interesting. Um, like, the N64 one was really long and had chain chomps just randomly driving along the track. Would have been interesting, to say the least. Um, Felipe Nazar wouldn't last very long out there either. Um, ooh. Like, I like the Mario Kart Wii one, but that was pretty good. Um, I'm a big Mario Kart fan, in case you didn't notice already. Um, I liked the one that was on Mario Kart 7 on the DS. That was actually very good, because it was like a proper lap. Um, this is getting serious here. It's like, what design blueprint do we take forward? Oh, N64. Oh, oh, we'll, N64. We'll, we'll, we'll go N64. We'll go N64. <laughs> like, you, you can't really go wrong with that one. Um, <laughs> well, so, okay, we'll, we'll throw Rainbow Road in there. I would like to throw in Special Stage Route 11 from Gran Turismo. For, oh, yes. At night. A night race, no mercy, but they, like it's like Singapore, only better in every way. <laughs> Basically, like, sod- yeah. Yeah, I just have Taylor Swift perform at the end of the weekend. Problem solved. <laughs> I want. I want. Also, I want to throw another one in there from from NASCAR 2005, Chase for the Cup, the Daytona Road Course, and we're not, not talking about like the one they use for the 24 in yeah, NASCAR 2005. Yeah, in NASCAR 2005, they had a Daytona Road Course that used the perimeter roads from from outside the Daytona Speedway. Ooh, that's pretty. Good. So, so you went through the parking lots and like a whole bunch of other stuff that it was like it was weird, but it, it was still good. <laughs> I mean, if we're talking Gran Turismo tracks, to be fair, uh, what are we thinking here? I've always wanted, and this would be perfect, I think, as a Formula E track. Well, except maybe for the jumps. You're going to say London, uh, aren't you? You're going to say London, aren't you? That would be, br- gonna... be brilliant. Actually, I was not. I was going to go Seattle. Oh, yeah. That's not bad. That's not bad. That's Can interesting. Imagine Formula E trying to do the jumps up the up the hill towards turn four. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's weird because like many Those other like, style jumps. It's because a lot of racing games have done that in mm. like variants like like grid like grid two and grid auto sport had San Francisco and the yeah. jumps. You had Infusia had their own version of that on the PS2 as well. Um, so like it's, I think it's kind of been done a lot in fantasy racing games. The whole concept of hills and tram lines and shit. So. Mm. Um, I'm not entirely sure I'd buy that one. Um, ooh, I'm just thinking what's this on my list. I actually like Capering a lot from Gran Turismo 5 and 6, and I'm only just saying this because Mark Bustler off um, Classic Game Room did one of his um, little uh, casual videos going around Capering, and, and it's a really friggin' fantastic track. It's like it's like there's a bunch of really cool bolted-on corners from other circuits, and... Yeah, um, like they have like this really ridiculous jump and then this massive corkscrew um, that would make Laguna Seca blush um, in in the middle of it somewhere, which is really really cool. And one more, I'd love to see Formula One go around here, just as like an almost like a glorified oval race, high speed ring. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. In fact, I will see that one, and that's a great one. And I'll raise you one that I was disappointed never came back to the series after the second game, Red Rock Valley Speedway. Yes, very good track. Very good track. Phenomenal track. Basically, it was sort of a road course that desperately wanted to be a two, wanted to be Fontana. (laughs) It had the first turn that was almost flat out high banks, and then it went into sort of a middle technical section, which was still super quick. And then you had the fast right hand run round into a tunnel. It's phenomenal. I just, I never understand why that track never came back. 
True, Burnley true probably indeed. it off the calendar or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, great, great track. So yeah, we we got five there. That was a so yeah. So we got we got some suggestions here, which is ultimately better than a WTF one article. Tom, hire me. <laughs> I will I will fix your shit. Um, yeah. But also, like my keeping it one on one for the week was I had to talk about CM Punk's MMA debut. I just I just you know I I I can't lie to you people. I laughed. I laughed my head off profusely at this. Um, like King, do you see this fight? Uh, no, but I've heard everyone talk about how one-sided it was. Oh, oh, it was bad. I saw it after the fact. It wasn't. It wasn't great, was it? It, it wasn't pretty. It's. It's. It was. It was like. It was like again. I, I, put, I said it on Twitter. Like, like for a guy that's straight edge, I found it kind of ironic because like Punk looked like he was fighting drunk in there. <laughs> just, just throwing some shots. He got taken down, and he was just beaten to a pulp. It was glorious. Um, and for all those people out there that are saying that CM Punk is really brave for for, you know, for leaving pro wrestling and doing this, he got paid half a million dollars for it just for the fight itself. No, like I'm sorry. I think that was almost the problem in the end, wasn't it? Because ideally he should have been able to train up to this and work through lower level fights first. But the problem is he was such a big name that Dana White said, well, if I don't sign him to have a fight, Bellator or someone else will. Exactly. So I got to put him in the octagon. And the only problem was he just was not ready for at all. Exactly. For UFC it, competition. It, it was a cash grab. It was a cash grab on yeah. both sides. Dana White had to put him right in there in the thick of him, <clears> basically to get him what was seemingly an easy fight to get him out there and CM Punk was an easy cash grab because hey he's no longer pro wrestling that can make some money in a big company like the UFC so when people call this brave I laugh in their face look put me in there against an MMA fighter for half a mil for a few seconds and I will gladly take you up on that offer (laughs) there is there is nothing brave about this, in my in my humble opinion. So, you know, I think the only thing about it, the only thing brave about it, was that he had he left behind what was a comfortable living for him in wrestling to go and do something that he'd never done before. And hey, he made it in there. I think, to be honest with you, if the second happiest day of your life is getting beaten the shit out of in front of a bunch of people in a cage, then hey, more power to you, mate. <laughs> if, if that's his way, like if that's his way of making money, there must be better ways of making money. <laughs> because, like, seriously, like I'm gonna, to be honest, I'm gonna he's a comic book artist. He doesn't need to do this anymore. If I'm him, I'm like, well, I did, I fought in the UFC. I was shit, but I don't care. There you go, ticked it off. I'm gonna go back to yeah. drawing Thor cartoons. Especially given that he spent 15 years as a professional wrestler. I mean, holy crap! Your body's already been through hell. You've got sh- your shot knees. You're 36 years old. I mean, holy crap! He fractured his skull like 10 years ago. Oh, just oh, like CM Punk, man. Like the fact he's an asshole doesn't help. But I mean, mm. just, just it, I just I just find it hilarious that you know that was his way of of an effective cash grab so props to CM Punk for taking a beating for the culture um King what have you got <laughs> uh I, you hinted at it in the intro I I kind of wanted to change my mind but no I'm back in I'm, I'm headfirst into it last weekend Where? there may not have been any IndyCar racing but the Mazda Road to Indy held their season finale at at the Laguna Seca where all three series had their championships, but the highlight, the Indy Lights, had Zach Beach win the race, but that wasn't the story. That wasn't the biggest story from the race. It was who won the championship. And, oh dear. Down to the last lap, it was 
It was uh, Santiago, Santiago Arrutia was second, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, Santiago Arrutia was second, and he basically had the championship locked in. Uh, his championship rival Ed Jones had to finish fourth or better to win the title, and he was in fifth. Mm-hmm. But ahead of him was his fe- was his teammate Felix Sorales, and Sorales. Kind His foot of. slipped off the accelerator on the final lap. Of course. Yeah, yeah. He he pulled over for his teammate to give Ed Jones fourth and the championship. And a lot of people weren't happy about it. Like, the Racer.com headline for the race was V-Twins round two, Jones gifted championship. Oh, <laughs> boy. It begins. I mean, I have no... Okay. I understand why teams have team orders, and I completely understand why Carlin pushed pushed the button on this one. But there's no like people have to understand why many people will have a bitter taste in the mouth as a result of this, because nobody wants to see a championship won or lost out of the driver's hands when a team can pull a stunt like that one. It's 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 ugly. There's no getting around it for me. Like it's it's now a question because uh, I don't follow the the indie lights quite as much. Um, Arusia does not have a teammate in that series, does he? Uh, no, no, he doesn't. No, so it's a single. It's Schmidt Peterson just run the one car. Yeah. So, which is a shame because I'm thinking about it. Like there was no way they. It was not like team orders versus team orders sort of thing. There was no way. He and and done the that. fact that he was in second, like, <laughs> would your teammate give up the win and the championship? Probably not. No, I mean, to be honest with you, I was probably the least upset of anyone. I was like, it was still a very, very tense race to me. I enjoyed it, and I'm, I, I think I knew twenty laps before it actually happened. I was like, well, Carlin has their teammate in fourth. Their second driver could win the championship if they just do a switcheroo. Why would they not do that? There's absolutely no way they're not going to. Like, it doesn't make any logical sense. So. I don't know. I, I think it was funny because the official Mazda Racing Twitter account was live tweeting it. Obviously, it's the Mazda Road to Indy. Yeah. They said about 15 laps in, remember, there's no rules on team orders in Indy Lights. And I was like, well, there you go. Oh, okay, there okay. <laughs> uh, Carly, I mean, Smith Peterson did run a second car that, that race. Like, throughout the year, they had a couple other cars <laughs> on and off, but they did have another car in that race. But uh, it wasn't that Beach, dr- was it? No, it wasn't Beach. That driver was in six, so couldn't affect anything. <laughs> So he was sick, so he, he could have caught up with Ed Jones, maybe, yeah. if he'd had the pace. Oh, dear. <laughs> well, uh, Ed Jones talking about uh, Sorales pulling over. He said, I have no recognition of team orders. Whatever happened on the last lap, whatever happened on the last lap happened to Felix. I don't know what happened there. I was racing my own race and came out in fourth and got the championship. Oh, come on, man. Who are you trying to fool here? I had some beef with. I'm like, if you're going to pull, it's obviously team orders. Just own it. You Just come out and be like, look, we know what happened. You knew exactly what was going on. We're not idiots, Ed. Come on, man. Yeah, I just love the the closing sentence Smith Peterson I mean uh, SMP co-owner Smith Peterson was seen having a frank discussion with Trevor Carlin about the result after the race but it didn't change the fact that Jones heads into the offseason with a sizable check and entries into three IndyCar races to propel his career forward (laughs) (laughs) gee someone was salty on the racer.com stuff (sighs) yeah 
Yeah, race See, the way I look at it as well. Go, go on, the go. way I look at it, and we'll talk about it later in the silly season section. All of the guys involved in this finale are going to have good shots at, at IndyCar drives next year. I mean, yes, Jones has got the guaranteed fund and the three races, but at the same time, Santiago Arrucia is already in the shop window for a lot of teams, and the guy who wasn't even in the championship battle in the end, Zach Veach. I mean, he has already been sounded that by a lot of teams on the grid. So. To be honest with you, it could well be that Arusia wins out in the long run if he gets the full-time ride and before Jones. You know, uh, you know I don't know. Like, happen that way in the there's series. there's a lot to say when you when you have like you're guaranteed to be in at least three races because there's not a lot of IndyCar seats to have. No, there isn't. No, Especially- there aren't any. To be fair. <sighs> Yeah, like yeah, but I'm pretty sure we're going to talk about that later when we talk about silly season. Exactly. Yeah, I was going to say just leading into leading into later on. There's still many dominoes that uh, that are basically in effect. And again, we'll, we'll talk, I'm sure we'll talk about Colin's possibilities in a bit. But now they've got a driver with three guaranteed runnings there. So hey, just 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 a thought. Uh, you know, it, it it may it may help. <laughs> just just throwing that one out there. But uh, yeah, that will just about do it for keeping it 101. Let's talk about MotoGP and Masano. talk about MotoGP at Misano and uh, my word record attendance at Misano this year I think it was 135,000 fans and as no surprise given it's 10 minutes from Valentino Rossi's home village a sea of yellow <laughs> in the stands everywhere like, like I think most people know how I feel about Valentino Rossi at this point but I can't help but be amazed at the spectacle of just a sea of 46 flags everywhere around the circuit and I also that there was some poor guy right had this one Marquez flag flying it and it was surrounded <laughs> by yellow 46 and I'm like dude if you've got a death wish like, what, like, what are you doing he's like that guy that gets lost in the away end at Old Trafford and you're like hey city oh, oh. <laughs> Actually, I probably shouldn't mention that, should I? No. No, I was like, you know, so if you're the fan that had the Marquez flag in the sea of Rossi fans, please email the show. I'd love to hear if you're still alive. And I also also salute you, sir or madam, that uh, you were able to come out of that section in one piece. You were were, were very brave. You see, punk? That's bravery. Now... (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) But uh, talking about the race itself... At least we know um, who CM Punk's next UFC opponent's going to be. <laughs> Jesus oh, Christ, that's like, lag. Johnson, you cut out there for a second. What were you saying? <laughs> I was going to say that was lagged as fuck. Yeah, um, yeah. I was just going to say, now we know who CM Punk's next UFC opponent's going to be. <laughs> Me. I, 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 you know what? I'm bigger than him. I'll take him down and give him some ground and pound. We'll, like, we'll be fine. And if not, I'll make a lot of money. So who cares, right? Um, It'll be like the battle of the cynical internet assholes. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I have no shame in admitting this. Uh, but uh, yeah, as for the race itself, history was made. Um, now, for the record, in, in MotoGP history, and that's going back to beyond the MotoGP era, 500s, any form of Grand Prix motorcycle racing, we have never seen a situation where eight different riders had won in the last eight rounds. And we already had seven in seven of Maverick Vinales' shock win. Um 
at Silverstone last week, and Danny Pedrosa, out of nowhere, the 25 to 1 shot going into this weekend makes it eight different winners in the last eight rounds. This is the first time this has ever happened in MotoGP. And I'll say this, King, it was an incredible spectacle just to see Pedrosa literally make mincemeat of the entire field like that. <laughs> yep, yep. He, he clearly had something that everyone else didn't have and that seemed to be a softer set of tires yeah like 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 king is king was even more cynical than i was i didn't even mention <laughs> it straight away but like king was like i have no problem going straight for the jugular because I, I will admit this right watching this race like seeing the reaction on twitter afterwards people were gushing about this performance sitting here going oh this is an amazing pedrosa win pedrosa's back this is like look at that little midget fly he's amazing and yeah. A lot of famous people were tweeting him, like like Ben Spees was was sending congratulations to Lorenzo, who you know used to hate the man's guts. Um, you know, was tweeting his congratulations. Ewan McGregor was out here. Mark Webber was tweeting, "Yo, that was mega, Pedrosa. Well done, man!" Like, I underestimated just how much Danny Pedrosa is universally liked. Like I said before, we we, we recorded the episode that. He, I, I compared him to Santino Morello. Like Dolph Ziggler of MotoGP. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said I said Santino Morello because like nobody outright loved Santino Morello, but everybody liked him. So, so you always and got when he a- got a sniff of success, everyone was like, "Fuck yeah, let's get behind Santino Morello." Yeah, Santino. Yeah. So like like like, like he's not. Like he's got a, obviously he's going to have his hardcore fans, but he, like he's universally liked. I think he's b- become quite a sympathetic figure in MotoGP after the dominance of Marquez and you know Lorenzo and Rossi being essentially the big four, kind of becoming a big three in MotoGP. Given how Pedrosa's had to play catch up a lot of the time, and you know Honda's not really suited him in recent years, and he's probably been the biggest victim of Mark Marquez in the last three four years. He's been around in the top class now, but. The reaction was incredible, especially given it was on Rossi's home turf. But I can't lie, I was not that impressed by this performance. Like, the fact that he was on a softer set of tyres and was able to make it work was the reason he won this race. It, it was not because Honda was legitimately quick around here, because they weren't. Jorge Lorenzo was ridiculous in qualifying. Like, he was... I think I think it was 0.3 faster than anybody else. He was the first man to ever do. I think it was a 131 around Masada in qualifying. Broke the absolute lap record. Um, so Yamaha clearly still had the advantage this weekend. But like Johnson, like you, you would never give Pedrosa a, a prayer under normal circumstances here, right? No, and I think it's kind of weird how it's like I, I feel like there's kind of conflicting narratives from you and King because it's like. We're talking about how it was a very impressive race win, and yet neither of you were impressed. Are you uh, not entertained, sirs? I'm entertained, sure. Uh, it, it, yeah, it, it was great that he was able to make it work. That That's the part where I was impressed by, with, yeah. but it's kind of like I'm a bit disappointed that everyone else is not seeing this. Yeah, like well, I think, to be honest with you, I think what's happened is the incredible fan outburst is partially, number one, they remembered Pedrosa exists. <laughs> um, so everyone was like, oh, yeah, Danny Pedrosa's the thing. And he won a race. Yay, good for him. And, yeah, I mean, he... The thing was, it kind of reminded me a bit of, and this is going back a few years, to uh, one of the V8 supercar races at the Gold Coast 600 2011. Right. And it was uh, James Moffat in his rookie season uh, led a long part of that race and nearly the end of it there was a safety car which put him back in the field on pit strategy mm-hmm. but he had 
really, really fresh tyres, cranked everything, all the, the fuel mix was up to Rich, and he went on a tear and through the final 11 laps around the tight short, and it was the shorter version of the Gold Coast Surface Paradise circuit, he went from like 12th to 4th, and he was just passing cars left, right and centre. It's an amazing <laughs> 10 minutes of driving, but it's also, it looks a lot better in context because he's running fuel-rich settings, he's running fresh tyres, everyone else is on worn tyres, they're saving fuel yeah. or whatever. It kind of gave me that vibe here, but hey, it's a pure visual. Pedrosa up there slashing past people back to his kind of dynamic best. Hey, I'll tell you what, I think the romantics in people are like, hey, let's give Pedrosa this one, let's be happy about it. I, I just find a, a, a Pedrosa win, like, I find it amazing that people find a Pedrosa win so shocking when he's already won 28 top flight races. It's like, oh my god, Pedrosa's won, this is amazing. He's kind like, of like a Jensen Button at this point in that respect. Yeah. You kind of forget he's good. Yeah, it's, it's because it's, it's, motorsport is very much a what have they done lately kind of sport. Yeah, it's like it's 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 the again because the sport is so predictable. I think we're all just a little bit kind of in awe that this has even happened over the last three months that we've had you know eight consecutive different winners of races and like you know Pedrosa was like the one guy that was seemingly like the top the guy that could win a race you know realistically could win a race because he remember we forget he won two last year as well at, at Mategi and what was the other one now I can't remember off the top of my head what was the other one that Pedrosa won. But Tiggy was one in the wet, and I can't remember what the other one was. It It'll come to me. Um, King, help me out here. Um, <laughs> oh, God, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> like, I'm just going to be man. Everyone forgot that he existed. Yeah, I, I, see, I told you. It's like uh, we've all forgotten who, like, you've forgotten he was a thing. Hang on, I'm, I'm on, I'm on their words. I'll find it real quick here. Because um, they're about they're, they're, researched here, folks. It wasn't Aragon, he finished in second. It wasn't Mategi, because Mategi, you won that one. Philip Island was Marquez. It was Sepang. That's the one. Thank you. <laughs> it was, yeah, because Sepang was, we were, obviously, we all forgot the Pedrosa won that race because Rossi was busy kicking a man off his bike. Um, we forgot the Pedrosa dominated that race and won by 3.6 seconds. Um, yeah, so it's it, like, I do remember the stat that Pedrosa was like, only Lorenzo outscored him in the second half of last season. So, like, He's still got this ability where he's still really good. And I think people forgot Mategi where it, uh, it was his tyre management that won him that race by a landslide over everybody else at Mategi that day. So, again, I just find it amazing that people are so shocked at uh, Pedrosa win. I think, we've, I think we've now just made him like the wily veteran now of MotoGP because like, Rossi's become a, a contender again in the last two years. Um... I think it's just because he doesn't show it enough, does he? He'll just have these great really. races out of nowhere and then sort of go back to being just a level behind the big three. Yeah. So I think it just he just sort of comes and goes in that respect. I think after his various arm pump surgeries, he's kind of lost yes. a lot of the consistency. Yeah, very much so. Um, he, he's no longer, I really call him a title contender anymore. No, that's because not. Especially because Marquez is just so much better on the same bike than him. But, you know, I guess that means it's more endearing when he does win every once in a while because, you know, he yeah, still yeah. is winning. He's now, I mean, he's, he's that was his 52nd Grand Prix win in all classes. I think that now puts him joint seventh on the all time list, um, tying him up with Phil Reed. So, yeah, congrats to Danny Pedrosa in that regard. It was a, you know, it was a great performance. And I'm not saying it wasn't great. I'm just saying is that, you know, people shouldn't really be so shocked at this. But, um, you know, I guess that's me just saying, oh, you know, Pedros is still really good, you guys. But It's uh, almost like you're expecting the internet to be balanced. <laughs> what a myth. Um, speaking of the internet being balanced, Valentino Rossi. Um, <laughs> home, home Grand Prix. Um, didn't, oh not the result he was looking for, obviously. I think you could tell by his 
like, well, I would say subdued reaction, but then he did pull a shoey on the podium, so what the hell do I know? Um, he did it just to do it, by the looks of it, you know, you know taking taking a, uh, a nod to Jack Miller from Assen by doing a shoey. Um, you know, because he's clearly Australian, who knew? Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he, he finished second over Jorge Lorenzo, and there was controversy over this. I mean, Johnson, have you seen this block-passing question? I have, yeah. I think you shared it. That's how I, I, did, how I yeah, saw it. Cause, uh, I did share it, and, yeah, I, I said... Um, I think I'll find the quote for it in a minute here, because I know, I know I people... It MotoGP or motorcycle race in terms of fuck you pass. It, yeah, it was a block pass, and it, it was a and block... You. Yeah, it was basically the same thing. Um, Rossi pulled a block pass going into that sweeping hairpin that was um, down towards the back of the circuit, and... He's like Rossi's taken like the, the like he's taken the very narrow inside line. Like Jorge Lorenzo has tried to sweep around the outside of him, and Lorenzo has had, had to stand the bike up on the apex because there's no way in hell that uh, that both of them are going to make the corner on that line. Like it's it's literally impossible. Um, I, was, I, I found I found the link of it again. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to watch it one more time <laughs> to just. Just to make sure I know what I'm talking about here, I'm just, but, uh, you know, we can do this on podcast. You know, it's 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 verified. The rest of the time, he's just winging it, folks. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, we're really professional on this show. Like GPX is going to play. Now here it is. Yeah. So like Rossi's following Lorenzo. Rossi goes really narrow in. Lorenzo tries to sweep round the outside of him, and again, like because of where Rossi's parked his bike on the apex. Lorenzo, Lorenzo had to seal it up, basically, to avoid an, an accident. You see what I mean when I call it an FU? It is literally just like a yes. screw your corner. Yeah. That's, that's, like, that's like something you'd see in Supercross, which is perfectly fine there, but yep. in MotoGP, no. Well, you say that, but there is nothing in the rules against a block pass. Like, I, I, I hinted at this on Twitter, right? It kind of goes against what I call the code, where... It's like in MotoGP, it's kind of weird because last lap incidents generally you get a pass for almost whatever happens. Like, like the one with Johan Zarco and Sam Lozos, it was kind of an exception to the rule. Where like, like, like oh my god, a last lap incident actually got punished. But um, <laughs> normally, the race control will, will take it out of their hands if something happens on the final lap. This was lap two of the race, <laughs> <laughs> and like. Rossi had basically thrown a block to pass Lorenzo, and Lorenzo was pissed um, after after the race um, in the press conference. Uh, he and he and Valentino Rossi um, exchanged some words in the presser um, as a result of this. I, I believe it. Like I think Rossi, I think Rossi started laughing at him um, when it was mentioned that uh, Lorenzo wasn't happy with the incident. Um, I, I, I found it here. It's on racer.net. So sorry, sorry, no, sorry, crash.net, I should say. Talking about it, right? Here's like here's the full press conference in quote. Lorenzo. Well, if you ask this question, maybe it is because the move is aggressive. Because if it, if not, then you don't ask this question. Um, you can have different opinions. My opinion was that the overtaking was maybe too aggressive, as he didn't need to make this overtake. But you know, this is his style. Other riders overtake more clean. Rossi starts laughing. Lorenzo looks to Rossi and says, It is true, you don't know? Rossi's response, No, no, no. Try to look another time at the overtake on the television. <laughs> Lorenzo, if I don't pull up straight the bike, we crash, I crash. 
Maybe you don't crash, but I crash for sure. <laughs> Rossi goes, this is not true. I don't know what I have to say. Marquez overtakes 10 times like this at Silverstone. What you say like this is not true. I love that they're both just talking in broken English. It's kind of hilarious at this point. Like, Lorenzo, it is my opinion. My opinion. Rossi goes, also you overtake always aggressive. Also to me. <laughs> like, by the way, I'm not changing any of this. This is, this is directly <laughs> word for word. <laughs> Lorenzo, when? This is my opinion. Also, race direction will have another opinion. For me, if I don't pull up the mic straight away, I crash. Anyway, he didn't need to do this overtake. Taken. He was better than me today and he would pass me sooner or later, but he didn't need to be so aggressive with me. He will have another opinion. Rossi, anyway, I do not agree. Oh <laughs> it's just like that bit from Dracula Dead and Loving It, where they have that old conversation where Leslie Nielsen and the others have to have the last word on each other. Yes. Like one of them leaves the room and walks past the window and goes, zip, zip. <laughs> Rossi was just never going to let Lorenzo have the last word, was he? No, no, this is. And that's not Pedrosa sat in the middle, like. Yo, um, can we can we talk about how I was better than both of them? Yeah, like you're not gonna do that. It's like, I, like there's, it, like I feel bad for Pedrosa because the same thing happened to Sepang last year. Obviously, all the talk was about <laughs> what happened between you know Rossi and Marquez, and you know Pedrosa and Lorenzo had to defend Marquez basically. Whereas you know Rossi was sitting there thinking Rossi did not shot for the press conference that day. Um, it's it's it's, a, it's an incredible spectacle, and like we we've known it for a long time. Those two do not like each other at all and they've had to put a pretty part of this outburst came from the fact that hey i mean lorenzo doesn't have to be diplomatic anymore he's off he's off to another team next year but to be fair lorenzo normally i I think so far he has been very very reserved on a lot of these big incidents to be fair lorenzo's never really been diplomatic (laughs) to be honest with you true like like, yeah i I think he's had more of a less of an explosive way of showing it shall we say Let's, like, he, he takes the high road a little bit more than Valentino does. That's what I yes. will say. Because the thing is, yeah. they, can, they can both be as diva-like as the other on many occasions. Like, for me, like it's six of one, half a dozen of the other with those two. And This reminded me a lot like, of that uh, Dre brief you did once where you explained that, like, Jorge Lorenzo is the Lex Luthor of yes. MotoGP. And this kind of did strike me as a Superman and Lex Luthor kind of discussion. Indeed. And what I will say on top of that is that, like, Lorenzo... Like, I will say this. I don't completely agree with you, Johnson, in the sense of Lorenzo this year has definitely been more scathing. Like, he is, he's held back a lot less this year. He's always been kind of diva-like, but this year, more than ever, he's been even more unafraid to speak his mind. Um, he, I mean, he, he gave KTM a hard like he time. he worry about inter-garage relations anymore, does he? No, not in the slightest. And... Here's my take on the whole thing, because, you know, people have, people have asked me about this on Twitter since it happened. My response is, there was nothing wrong in what Valentino Rossi did. You are allowed to block pass. That is something that has always, that's never been against the rules to do what Rossi did. I, will, I can question the fact that, you know, why is he going for such an aggressive overtake on lap two of a race? I think that is something that, that's a, that's a fair question to ask. But Misano, it is notoriously difficult to overtake somebody anyway. And, you know, I can understand why Rossi threw the block on this occasion. What I have a problem with is that this kind of just exposes the hypocrisy of Valentino Rossi because he basically lost his mind at Sepang last year 
where Mar Marquez did the exact same thing to him exactly. at Sepang, and Rossi lost his mind. And you know, he, he, at one point he threw his arm back and said, "What are you doing, Marquez?" Basically, in the middle of their fight, like, "Oh my God, how are you doing this?" And then less than a year later, Mark, like, he's doing the exact same thing to to, to Jorge Lorenzo and saying, "It's a okay. Don't mind me, Jack. Look at me just doing this move here that I completely tried to bury a man's career for less than a year ago." It's like that level of hypocrisy I do find disturbing from Valentino Rossi to say the least. But the problem is that Lorenzo doesn't really have a leg to stand on here because you know he's always been the guy to question other people's aggression. But like like with Simoncelli, it was one thing because he was aggressive a few years ago. He hasn't really got a leg to stand on here for me because what Rossi did was perfectly legal. Like, again, it's a violation of the code. And I think that's the problem here. At least that's my take on the situation. I don't know, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but that's the impression I get from the whole thing. I think, to be honest with you, I think the only, the only defense Rossi has in this scenario is that this is like Lorenzo and Rossi are at least together in the championship battle. Right. He tried to claim that the whole beef he had with Marquez last year was because Marquez wasn't in the championship fight, which was still tenuous because it's almost like, well... Why do you expect Hollow Marquez point. to race you any different? He, yeah, exactly. He doesn't race anyone any different. And mm -hmm. it's not like Rossi didn't have enough people who are prepared to go, Yo, oh, it's Valentino Rossi. I'm just going to fuck off to Narnia at the next corner and let you through. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, it's, 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 it's quite amusing, to be honest with you. I think it was pretty... It was hilarious. Pretty aggressive move. It's, it was pretty hilarious to watch in the post-race. But um, mm -hmm. I guess Marquez was watching all this with a smile as well, like... So this is what Rossi thinks is acceptable, right? Okay. <laughs> I, I thought after Spank last year it was completely different. Yeah, King, you got two cents on this? Uh, no, I, I mean pretty much. I would just be repeating what both of you guys said. Yeah, I mean, like so the, the, the impression I get is like again, like Rossi did nothing wrong. You are perfectly entitled to do what he did. It's one of again we mentioned it when, when we had Sudderby on the show last time around about the spirit of the rules and the nature of you know rider ethics and when guys like Michael Laverty have come out and said that oh those Moto three guys should be strangled for trying to ruin Danny Kent's championship, I'm kind of I kind of realise I'm dealing with an area that just doesn't think by conventional logic. Um, <laughs> it's a bit like me and my bookie Race job. Race code is a strange thing, Dre. Yeah, yeah, like oh you know if you're a, if you're not a, a contender you should get out of the way of a fellow rival. Like who the fuck is? It's a little bit like <laughs> it's a little bit like what it struck me in a similar way to you know the code uh, last year when we had all those shenanigans in NASCAR of Joey Logano and Matt yes. Kenseth and the moment Kenseth effectively warned Logano and just T-boned him in there you, you're like what was telling about it was how almost all the drivers on the radios at the same time were either laughing or going yeah Joey kind of deserved it and you're like at first you're like how the hell can all these drivers condemn this dirty driving but then you kind of go well by the code of things Logano screwed Kenseth out of a championship and NASCAR endorsed him they didn't do anything so Yep. It's kind of like the whole, you know, in the WWE, the whole sort of, uh, what do you call it, wrestler's court and the whole, mm -hmm. you know, standing up in front of the boys in the locker room, like the whole story of John Morrison not standing up to Batista for cheating on him with Molina, whatever, you know, Wimp. all that sort of stuff. It, <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of comes across like that. Yeah, exactly. Like, it kind of come, comes across almost like that. It's like, well, mm. if the series ain't going to do shit about it, what are you going to do? Are you going to just let him do that to you? You're going to lose face in front of the boys? I think that's if, this, like this, you know, code is a weird thing in the locker room, I guess. So it's something I learned from kids TV show Recess many, many years ago that, uh, <laughs> 
you know, the, the code is a weird and mysterious thing and it doesn't hold up under any form of conventional logic, but that's just the way these people think. You know, I work in the bookies. I know exactly how this kind of operates, unfortunately. <laughs> Nature of it all, really. But that was all really the major talking points coming out of Misano's MotoGP race. I mean, yeah, Mark Marquez was suspiciously off the pace, was never apparently comfortable out there. Um, the full result, Danny Pedrosa wins by 2.8 seconds over Valentino Rossi, Jorge Lorenzo third, Mark Marquez fourth, uh, Maverick Vinales, another solid performance from him in fifth place there to run to the top five. Like, like Maverick Vinales is like legitimately be the best of the rest in this championship right now, outside of the big four we've mentioned before. It's kind of crazy to see that a Maverick is already on this level. Next year's going to be fun. Um, uh, Andrea Davizioso in sixth. Uh, everybody's favourite backup. McKaylee Pirro in seventh. Uh, great job from Pirro there to come in as usual. The policeman doing his finest part-time work as ever. Cal Crutchlow in eighth. Paul Despagaro ninth. Avara Bautista. Good job of him to get into the top ten for Aprilia. Ed of Dinner Petrucci. Stefan Bradl. Hector Barbara. Eugene Laverty, Scott Redding gets the last of the points in 15th, ahead of Yoni Hernandez. Tito Rabat did not finish. Oh, he technically, he did, but five laps down. Poor Alex Lowe's binned it. Javier Forez, um, Xavier Forez um, had arm pump issues and couldn't, couldn't finish the race. And Nietzsche Spagaro binned it. Um, like, Johnson, do you see Murder 2 by any chance? I knew you were talking about watching uh, it. I've not been able to catch up with it, no. I'm looking forward to you yeah. guys telling me the story of it. It sounded like a great race. Uh, yeah, like, honestly, for me, I think it was, like, one of the strongest Moto2 races we've seen this season. Like, yes. Johans, yeah, like Johan Zarco got the whole shot um, ahead of Thomas Luti. But I, I joked about this on Twitter, King. I said the executive order has been carried out on Johan Zarco. Like, within, <laughs> within the space of one lap, he went from, like, first to sixth. It was ridiculous. <laughs> like, the whole field just bullied him. Like, I've joked about this before on Bike Live with my, with my co-host, Lewis Sudderby, where um, we talked about when Tom Sykes was leading at Assen with like a flock of five behind him and next thing you know like when Jonathan Ray got tired of Tom Sykes's shit he basically pulled the pin and then next thing you know Sykes is in fifth place in the space of five corners <laughs> the, the same thing happened with Johan Zarco it was kind of ridiculous um, he was kind of bullied and pushed down the order surprisingly off the pace in the race for Zarco I must say um, he finished in fourth in the end but at the front it was Alex Rins that comfortably led for the majority of the race but maybe it was the collarbone that kicked in um, he's still recovering from the busted collarbone he suffered um, in that warm up crash three weeks ago and uh, as time went on I think he just faded in the race and it was Lorenzo Baldessari for the forward Yamaha team who it must admit in a very nice touch was running a Stars and Stripes livery so King was, must have been very happy with that um, but then as a tribute to 9-11 the 15th anniversary they were running a yeah. Stars and Stripes livery for the weekend well not for the weekend just for the race actually um, they had special livery and uh, Lorenzo Baldessari took his first ever Grand Prix win um, so that was the home win just not the one you were expecting um, at Masano he, he went absolutely apeshit like he, he ran across like this like 50 metre gravel trap to celebrate with the fans like there wasn't like a number seven section for the for Paul Lorenzo on this one, but all the Rossi fans were like, yeah, well done, well done. <laughs> we got an Italian win, just not the one we were hoping for. Yay! <laughs> but um, it was a great it was a great race. A lot of good fights up and down the field. I know um, Franco Morbidelli and Sam Lowe's got into a big one, like to the point where there was an enormous Sam Lowe's esque tire mark on the side pod of Frankie Morbidelli's bike because of their actual contact that they had on track at one point. Um, poor old Sam Lowe's tried a little bit too hard in response and binned it. 
listen to Bike Live on Friday. <laughs> um, but that'll be fun. But uh, yeah, that pretty much, you know, was essentially them kissing um, Sam Lowe's slim chances of the title goodbye, basically. Um, but yeah, it was Lorenzo Baldessari that took the win over Alex Rins in second. Great job from him, given the circumstances. That was a very gutsy performance, given his collarbone is still basically made out of spit and Kleenex. Um, Takana Kagami on the podium I, in I said third. This on Twitter, by the way, sorry, I, I, I saw you tweeting about this. Um, I, I saw this. I, I saw you tweet about this. Do you think he was messaging Joseph Newgarden for advice on that? <laughs> Just a little <laughs> bit. To still be really fast with a busted clavicle. <laughs> Yeah, like, I cl- like clearly I missed the trick here. Like, hey, maybe busted clavicles make you faster. I don't know. Like, maybe, like, maybe I'm missing something. Like, really... NASCAR, you've got. <laughs> yeah, I mean, over in NASCAR, you've had Carl Busch and now Tony Stewart seem to be a lot better since coming back from broken bones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. It's, it's kind of weird. I like, like, like healing bones seemingly make you faster. Maybe we'll try it out on Johnson one day. If we break his clavicle, maybe we'll be a better podcast host. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not a good idea. No. Okay, fine. Just you try. <laughs> I'll see how this is. Uh, we might try it out towards the end of the season. Who knows? But, uh, but <laughs> That'll be the support to CM Punk's next fight. Just me and Dre in the Octagon. Yes, with me with a pickaxe. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Alex Rins a very brave ride in second place. Ahead of Takanakagami in third, another podium for the, for the Japanese man. Johan Zarko, championship leader um, in fourth place. I'm actually not sure he's championship leader now because of that result. I think he's dead level now with Rins. Uh, no, yeah, Bizarco still has a three-point lead, I should say. Sorry, my maths is a little bit off on that one. But yeah, Bizarco fourth ahead of Frankie Morbidelli in fifth. Thomas Luti in sixth. Hafiz Sire in seventh. Volga eighth. Cortese ninth. Alex Marquez runs off the top ten. Ahead of Schrotter, Vierge, Marini, Willerot, and Jesko Raffin in the points. Still no sign of Danny Kent performing. <laughs> but um, yeah, moving on to Moto3 real quick, King. And uh, good news for your boy. I yeah, think my that, boy. <laughs> I I think that's the death bell right there for this championship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's champion of luck now. He's mathematically, yeah, it's gonna be his. It's, it's, <laughs> he's he's already got the t-shirts printed. I can better read it. It's like yeah, Brad Binder, Red Bull KTM 2016 Moto Free Champion. Like it's already there, just just, just ready to go. Um, it was it was like a very weird Moto Free race. There was a lot of like on-track penalties for dropping positions because, like, the Moto3 guys were taking a lot of liberties. A lot of um, track extending taking place, and the Moto GP rules are, if you do it, you have, to, you have to, and I quote, drop one position, which can cause some problems. <laughs> like, like I remember it happened to Jonas Volga last year in Moto2, who, like, had to drop one position for track extending. The next guy was six seconds back down the road. So, like, Volga had to literally coast around, lose six seconds of time, and then give up one pl- one place to ended up being two places because, like, it was Agatha that was behind him, and then there was another bike right behind him, and he just took advantage of, of him giving up the place. It was like, oh, I'll take thank you very much. I'll take this. <laughs> so it was very weird. A lot of track excursions, and it was weird because, like, it wasn't your usual Moto Three box race war zone that was going on here. The top two actually broke free. It was very weird. Like um, Brad Binder and Nea Bastianini broke off from the leading pack and had their own little fight with about six to go. Um, Binder narrowly beating Bastianini. Like, Bastianini tried the Hail Mary into the final corner, and I'm like, oh, God, no, oh God, oh, God. 
Luckily, Enea backed off. He knew, he knew his goose was cooked, basically. But, uh, yeah, Binder takes the win and most likely the championship next round because uh, poor old no, it's, it's, it's over. It's it's over. It's like there's there's only 100 points available and he has a 106-point lead. There's five races to go. Five it's races to go? Damn it. Yep. Damn it. Yeah. Shut up, gang. Things getting carried away. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, when your boy's been Nico Rosberg, he's just enjoying having a boy who looks like he's actually going to win it now. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll put that one down to eagerness, King. We'll put that one down to eagerness. <laughs> yes. It's like when Manchester City finally got all their money and they were like, we're actually going to win the league now. And you're like, send it on. Yeah, and then, it, and then they actually did. Bastards. But yeah, Binder... <laughs> took the win by a quarter of a second over Renea Bastianini in second couldn't quite replicate his heroics from last year to, to take his first win Joanne Mir just beating Nicolo Belega over the line in the battle for third as well ahead of uh, Jakob Kornfile in fifth Andrea Locatelli in sixth Aaron Canet seventh Philip Otel eighth Ono ninth Giantino in tenth then rest of the points of Antonelli Guevara Loy Danilo and Mino. now for, the, for those guys that are a little bit slow on the maths i.e. Ryan King um <laughs> Yes, yes. It's a 106-point lead with 125 available, not 100 available. Yes, which means, mathematically speaking, all Binder needs. If Binder finishes second at Aragon uh, in two weeks' time, he is champion. So, yeah, Binder could win this thing four year, like four races early, which is just terrifying. Um, He's basically going the opposite route to Danny Kent last year. Kent was, like, coasting around in 13th, just... <laughs> Yeah. doing the classic English thing of struggling over the line to clinch a title because no English sports person can dominate well except if you're an Olympian or a Paralympian yeah. uh, they can't just dominate and win something comfortably they have to make it really tense but Binder's just like oh, fuck that we don't have that obligation I'm just going to win this thing yeah like Binder like, like, like last year Dar Danny Kent had like an 80 point lead at mid-season during the summer break like he had just dominated the Saxon and we thought okay Kent, Kent's going to run away with this now like Miguel Oliveira goes on a ridiculous tear and then Kent's defending like a like like Kent won his title in the end by six points that's how close it ended up being because Oliveira would, Oliveira would reeled him in so hard and Danny Kent was literally taking absolutely zero chances to try and win this thing um Yes, <laughs> in other words, it went it went to the last race when it really had no right being. So because I remember Aragon last year, where remember when Kent bottled it on the final corner and lost his bike? Yep, that was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> like like Kent, like all Kent had to do was pretty much around the final corner of Aragon on the final lap, and he's pretty much there. Nope, loses the front and crashes on his own accord. I'm like, what the hell, Ken? <laughs> so yeah, like I said, Binder has 106 points with 125 available, so a second place at Aragon will be enough to guarantee him the 2016 Moto3 title, which actually kind of makes me a little bit sad in a sense because you look at the overall standings and that 106-point lead... Um, and Ayo Bastianini is in second. Jorge Navarro is in third. I mean, King, it's not a good look for the series when one guy has got nearly double the points of everybody else in the series. <laughs> yeah, it's not a good look. Well, I mean... Which is mm. strange given how competitive the series has been the last few years. It's kind of odd how the championship's been around. Well, I like mean... It, last it's, few years, yeah. Like, because down the table from, like, second to sixth, it's still pretty close. Yeah, 17 points covers, like, second through sixth. Bastianini is a 123. Navarro with 118, Belega 113, Banyaya 110, 
Joanne Mir, 106. Giantonino, 98. The uh, no longer taking part in this season, Fanati with 93. It's pretty close in that top tier field if you, if you remove Binder's name. It's like in the betting market we have in our shop, in, uh, in my bookies, where it's like Scottish Premier League without Celtic. And then, it's, and then it all looks <laughs> a lot closer. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it's not a good look for the series. And it's a shame because, like... Two years ago, we had the epic Jack Miller versus Alex Marquez title fight, and Alex Rins was right there knocking on, on the door as well. He was he was in contention all the way through as well until like the last two rounds. Like last year, Danny Kent dominated the first half of the year, but Miguel Oliveira dominated the second half of the year, which kind of made the whole thing more intriguing. This year, Binder's just crushed everybody. <laughs> it's it's like his it, like he's been the only consistent player in Moto Three all season long, and it's just not a good look, especially for a series that that you know thrives on promoting young talent and making these guys look really good. It's not like Binder is a new player in this league. It's like like Binder was second fiddle to Oliveira at Rebel KTM last year, yeah. and. Now he's gone in Moto2 and Danny Kent's gone. Oh, Binder's suddenly really good now. And it's like, it's like, is it only, he's like, is he only really good now because Kent and Oliveira aren't around? It's, it's, there's negative connotations with all of this. And that's what's, so, so that's the problem with Binder here, really. It's just, it's just sad in a sense. <laughs> is that, this is the impression I get. I don't know about you guys, but. <laughs> I guess it's you know each series goes through kind of peaks and troughs. You know you'll have you'll have times where the the, the trophy the talent pool is is a little bit weaker than normal, or, or one guy will just run away with it. Moto three is an odd series in that it is so hugely competitive and on any, any given Sunday that I think if you're able to string together a handful of really good performances, you jump ahead of the field just because it is so hard to be consistent. So and that's the real crowning achievement of Binder this year that he's been able to be at the sharp end just almost on every single race weekend in a series where you either finish first or if you make one mistake, you're in 25th. Exactly. And the field is so diverse and, like, everybody else has had... Like, there's there's been a fair few guys in this field that have had moments of brilliance this year. Like, we talked about Powie and his two wet wins and how ridiculous they were this year. Giantino's had some brilliant podiums. Joanne Mir won in Austria. Um, Baniaya won Mahindra's first ever Moto3 race just this season. John McPhee did the same for Peugeot this year at Bruno. Bulliger had the pole position as well in his third ever race in Moto3. And Navarro got his first win this year as well. So we've had moments of brilliance here, but like no one's been able to string together results like Binder has. And Binder very nearly became the first man in Moto3 to win four races in a row. Um, he had that mistake, unfortunately. I think it was a Catalonia that ultimately robbed him of that chance. But he still finished second that day, which is just the ridiculous nature of just how good Binder is. You know, the conflicting nature of being really good in Moto3 can have its drawbacks, unfortunately, every once in a while. Still, shout out to Mark Marquez. We're still having a 43-point lead in the championship with five to go. Go, Marquez! Um, so that's just about the low and the short of it for MotoGP this week. Singapore Grand Prix this weekend. 
IndyCar series and uh, <laughs> IndyCar City Season Round 2 as I've affectionately labelled it um, in the uh, blog notes for this one and there's a lot more rumours that are flying around the IndyCar paddock right now and you know shout out to the great guys like Marshall Pruitt Robin Miller that are you know doing the Lord's work trying to fill in the blanks whenever they, whenever they can afford to um, Racer.net put up a really really good post on, on um, their site from uh, a lot of the team there again as the aforementioned Miller, Pruitt, Mark Glendening as well um, running through all the teams in alphabetical order and talking about their potential futures so we thought it would be fun to run down this list there's also, there's also a Q&A question from a fan of the show which I'll get to in a minute as well that kind of segues into that quite nicely but um, yeah let's, let's run it from the top and let's see how we feel so far now again as I mentioned full credit to the guys at racer.com Robin Miller Marshall Pruitt and Mark Glendening for their hard work here we, we give credit on this show we don't steal we, we, we give credit we shout them out and all that they're great follow them all that Balaki. right Foyt first up because again we're doing this in alphabetical order AJ Foyt now they're saying that they have like they, they've gone by traffic lights here but you know green yellow and red Takuma Sato is unconfirmed like we, we know nothing about the 14 car in Sato just it's yet but this um, yep. Uh, not now, Sato. Um, sorry, couldn't help it. Um, and the number 41 car with Jack Hawksworth, which they stick claim as the red light as unlikely. Now, here's the quote. So these traffic lights have a driver status. So yes. red yeah. is unlikely or confirmed to be departing. Amber is unconfirmed and green is confirmed stroke likely to continue. Basically, yeah. So, again, here's the quotes. There are all sorts of moving parts here. Paddock whispers suggest that Takuma Sato might be on increasingly thin ice, and the team is also known to want a seasoned driver to complement its primary number 14 entry if, if, as expected, Hawksworth departs. Pretty much everyone with a racing license has been linked to that drive. Despite his rookie status, Connor Daly has performed strongly at Coin this year and has ties to Foyt after making his IndyCar debut with them at the 500 in 2013. Carlos Munoz, as many have suggested, could be at the end of his tenure at Andretti unless the required sponsorship deals materialises. And with the Colombian's impressive form this year and his impeccable record at the Brickyard, he might be everything Foyt needs. And with the uncertainty over the funding for Chip Ganassi Racing's number 10 for Tony Canaan, could the 2004 IndyCar and 2013 500 champion be in the frame to lead AJ and sponsor ABC Supply? back to victory lane so the gist i'm getting here is that nobody really knows what's going on with Foyt right now but it's but yeah. all signs are apparently pointing to hawksworth going which is i guess kind of a shame um like he's never really stood out to me in that in that in that 41 car and you know it's no i think as soon as he went over there he was it's just it's been low-key hasn't he and i mean like before that which team was he with before then? Because I remember he was pretty impressive in kind of fits and starts I'm in still, his rookie season. 
I'm still pretty new. King, you have to help me out on this one. Um, oh, where was Hawks? Yeah, I think been before your time. Uh, I want to say it was 2014, which is rookie year. Because uh, you're right, since moving to Foy, it's been. It's oh, he was at Herda. Yeah, he was at Herda, Brian Herda. Ah, so he was in 98. Uh, yes, of course. Now you, now you mention it. Yeah, he was, he was a lot better over there. I mean, he got a podium in his debut season mm. over there. And he moved to AJ Foy last year, didn't improve at all in the championship, and has actually done worse this year. And really, he's not even got a single top 10 this year. Yikes. So it's. It's not a good look. It's unfortunate, but he's he's coming up to that mid-20s level where he could theoretically do anything. The problem is, I think he could be, of everyone on this list, including the free agents that they've also included, I feel like Hawkswood could definitely be an odd man out unless he's got some serious sponsor backing that we don't know about. And given that both of the... Um, the Foyt guys have been running under the Foyt sponsor banners. You kind of assume that they don't bring any sponsorship to the table of their own. So, in, indeed, tell. Sato's, Sato's a little bit more of a difficult case because he's shown good, impressive runs every so often. Mm -hmm. But it almost feels to me like Foyt is kind of getting to a point of losing patience with the entire setup. He's kind of fed up of being like more often than not. Foyt are kind of in the manner stroke salver spot Down in the, the bottom, field. yeah. And for a guy like Foyt, he's one of those old school hard nosed drivers in the history of racing. Mm -hmm. That is no way that's going to be good enough. Yeah, um, it's one of those things where, like, figures as well. The problem, the, the thing that might save him was that I know Sato's got good backing. He's, he's sponsored by Panasonic, and that's a nice sponsor to have. Very true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a, obviously being, you know, being Japanese. He's got that very strong sponsorship, and he brings decent money into the seat, but. I think you're right. I think the, the concept of blowing it up may actually make some sense here because Foyt's not really gone anywhere in the last two or three years. And I should also point out Sato's record's been a lot better head-to-head -head than Hawksworth this year. He's got quite a couple of top fives this year at Long Beach and Toronto, so that yeah. might save Sato if he's got good backing as well. And he's been with the team quite a while now, yeah. but Hawksworth definitely on thin ice. Yeah, I think with the amount of young'uns that are looking more and more impressive underneath him, I think Hawksworth's goose might, might as well be cooked on this occasion. Yeah. Um, but if, if Hawksworth does go, I mean, King, do you see him potentially getting someone? Like, like I mean, Munoz would be a massive coup for a team like that. <laughs> Yeah. Oh God. It, it for me, it's it's hard to see Carlos Munoz going anywhere else. But it's it's like it would probably have to be Foyt, like without a doubt. Yeah. To be honest with you, I think I think a lot at Foyt is all the names that have been mentioned here are guys who could become free agents. So I think it honestly depends on if any of them do. Yeah. Munoz, Daly, he's been mooted because, of course, we now don't know what's happening with Daly because Borde signed with Dale Coyne. We'll get to them in a bit. But we're not sure whether that means he's replacing Daly, whether he's, you know, going to become teammates with him. Who knows? So mm -hmm. Daly, Munoz, and Tony Canaan are all potential free agents, but none of them are yet. So exactly. I think all of them will be like great pickups for Foyt but we don't know which one will be free agents, if any Foyt might, might be the leftovers. You might They might get the leftovers or whatever's left, depending mm. on what happens with Kanan or, or, or people in bigger seats, basically. Like Foyt might end up cleaning up somebody else's mess, so to speak, for lack of a better term. The fact that they mentioned that he and Daly go back, that might be a key factor. But it, it, it all depends on, because uh, the whole thing is, you know, and again, we'll talk about this in the Dale Coin section, that the birds sponsorship on the 18 car has enabled coin to put daily in there and as the question is asked down there 
is the sponsorship dependent on on um, Daly being in the car, or you know, what's the status of the sponsorship in relation to Connor Daly? Does it Indeed. go him? Like, is it specific to him, or is it for that car I and they like, choose who drives it? From what I've been told, I believe it's the car, not yes. Daly. From what I've from what I've read from other people, it's so it will entirely depend on if birds are happy with Daly's performances this year which they bloody well should be quite frankly I, just, I still hope so be, yeah. but uh, yeah. again we don't know if, which means we, don't, we don't know whether Borde's taken the 18 or the 19 car that's the problem so we'll have to wait and see what happens where that's concerned mm. but uh, more on that later and well, honestly, I think, yeah, I think in this, sorry I think just to, to close on AJ Foyt um, I think Sato is not a bad player to keep around and mm-hmm. I think as we've said it depends on which of those drivers does become a free agent all of them will be great pickups but I don't think the, the choice will be out of Foyt's hands I think he'll literally he'll be like the last one up to the main table he'll sure. be kind of shift, sifting around the leftovers in the bottom of, in the bottom of the pot yeah and hey not bad some leftovers st- to have granted I mean, shit. I mean, if Tony Kanaan could be leftovers, I mean, holy crap! <laughs> and Kanaan's exactly. been really good this year. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that later. Uh, Andretti, Andretti Autosport, the uh, twenty-seven and the twenty-eight of Hunter Ray and Andretti is confirmed. The question mark is number twenty-six is Carlos Munoz. That's in yellow as unconfirmed. And I quote: Ryan Hunter Ray's deal with the team extends through twenty seventeen. So obviously Hunter Ray is completely off the table. The recent announcement that Marco Andretti had inked a new deal to partner with Hunter Ray next year appeared to confirm that he is a lock as well. Until so it's my- bad news, Paul Tracy, he's not going to Uber. Damn it. Until Michael Andretti admitted that he might move Marco over to the sister car overseen by Brian Herter in the hope that a change in scenery might also lead to a change in fortunes. Either option would be under the Andretti umbrella, though, so we're counting Marco as confirmed. But Munoz's place within the team is the biggest question mark. He recently made it clear that he regards his future as open, although Andretti is still working to keep the Colombian for another season. And quite so we should, because Munoz has been their best driver this year. And yeah. he's up there with Alexander Rossi. He's the highest, I think he's the highest ponder in the entire championship this year, Munoz. So I mean, yes. he's up in him he's and Ray right? Yeah, even though, is, and I think even though Michael Andretti has teased that he kind of would like to sign Joseph Newgarden to have an all-American lineup. He wants to do an American and team. He, well, we're going to get into this, aren't we? Joseph Newgarden is possibly the stick of dynamite that could blow this entire silly season wide open. Indeed. He's the big free agent. No one really knows where he's going to go. So at this point, it almost doesn't matter what drivers you've got on your team. If you've got a chance to sign Newgarden, you make space. Of course. And that's where Munoz could be in big trouble, which would be a shame. Yeah, as we said, because Munoz is great, and Munoz always turns it on for the 500. He's been strong there ever since he debuted in 2013. Absolutely. He really comes alive at that race, and he was second this year, of course. Mm-hmm. Very nearly won if it wasn't for Rossi's fuel tank being on dregs over was, the line. I was going to say, if Rossi's fuel tank was like half a mile smaller, <laughs> Munoz wins the 500. It's that simple. Exactly, and it, it, it's a shame because on sheer performances alone Andretti would be done in this town but under any other circumstances Andretti's been awful this year but obviously being the part of the kind of the Williams of IndyCar this year yeah because of the family name Andretti's looks like he's going to be there for at least another year but again we mentioned like Marshall Pruitt mentioned this I think last week on I think you guys talked about it last week on the show where Marshall Pruitt made the column talking about how 
you know, they could move Marco to the 98 car and put him under Brian Herter's care to free up Michael for other events for Andretti's brand, as well as maybe having the change of scenery may, might be able to help him out in the long term because he's been awful this Marco season. From out of his dad's shadow sort of thing. Yeah, to a degree, because again, he's been pretty awful this year uh, in terms of results. I mean, he's, he's not had a race inside the top seven this year. Andretti's been really poor by his standards. He's one of the lowest of all of the full season drivers in the points. Indeed, yeah. it's, it's, he's had a woeful season by his standards. A guy that's, you know, a, a, you know, he was a title contender until the last couple of rounds last year because of his consistency. And this year, it's all just completely gone to pot. But uh, quick side note before we, before we move on real quick. How juicy is Hunter Ray as a free agent going to be next year? Oh, man. Oh, goodness me. Oh, yeah, man. You, like, he's, Hunter Ray has shown that he's, like, still, you know, spectacular on the ovals, but getting better and better on the road courses. In, indeed. And, you know, how loyal is he to the Andretti brand, I wonder? Because, I mean, boy, Hunter Ray is a former champion of the series. He's, so. he's, yeah. has, he's won everything you can win as a driver. So, and yeah, again, he's a 500 champion. Yeah, he's all there. Yeah, he's won everything you can win. And uh, as this year proved, he was the king of the ovals. No one was better on the ovals this year, I think, for points scored this season than Hunter Ray was. So that's going to be fun to keep an eye on. But uh, gut feeling, guys. Munoz, stay or go? Gut feeling, stay. I'm with you. I think he's going to stick around. I think he's too good to let go at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think ultimately, you know, unless you're going to get someone. I mean, he's, you know, Newgarden's fifth in the points. Yes, Munoz is eighth. Mm-hmm. And he has led the charge. He's he's there or thereabouts. He he's very easily in contention to win an Indy 500 in the next few years if he stays where he is. I just don't see what Michael Andretti gets out of blowing up that team, moving him away. What Indeed, you, you know what do you get out of that? So. And, and if you're going to move Munoz, you're not going to get anybody who's better realistically. So, <laughs> not really yeah. pound for pound. Yeah, unless New Garden becomes available, which again we'll get to, but I don't think I mean, he, he goes to Andretti. I, mean, I think I think if you're Michael Andretti, you have to literally have New Garden in your office going, I'm a, I'm re- I'm ready to sign that contract, and then you and then you have to look down and go, Has someone mm-hmm. got Carlos's number? We're going to have to give him the bad news. But I think unless you have that, I don't I don't see what you benefit out of it. Indeed, it would, it would have to depend um, on Munoz's personal sponsorship. Yep. On a side note, the Andretti Hurter car, the number ninety-eight car. Um, saying that uh, the, the, the status of Rossi is unconfirmed, and I quote, the team has met with Rossi's father manager, slash manager, to discuss a new contract, but until Herta has the money together to sign the 500 winner, the door is open for other IndyCar teams, or possibly one of their Formula 1 counterparts, to pry him away. If he did move, where would a team find the like-for-like replacement? Brackets, that will answer itself if Marco is shuffled sideways. Um... I I don't I don't think they're. I mean, if 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 Rossi moves, he'll probably go to the full Andretti package because he's been yeah, very I think good. Surely that's going to make the most sense, isn't it? I mean, he's, yeah, he's shown great speed in his rookie yeah. season. Yeah, just swap him around. But I mean, do you think any F1 team is going to come looking for him? I don't think so. Uh, like I know, I think earlier this week he said that when he won the 500, two teams called out to try to get him full time that it was oh, manner wow. yeah it was it was manner and another team he wouldn't reveal who it was but Sal, he, of course manner is inevitable yeah so it's, it's got to be salva surely <laughs> but he, you know he declined who knows yeah he declined you know both offers obviously mm-hmm. but i don't think any f1 team could really get him to go to back like 
I mean, I think, to be honest with you, why why the hell would you? He's gone from bit part player in F1 to, let's be honest, let's remember why he left F1 in the first place. He didn't have as much money as other contenders. Harry Anto beat him out to the other Lammers seat due to money. Yeah. That was it. And then Rossi almost went to IndyCar. Do you remember at the start of the season, he turned heel by saying, effectively, IndyCar was a stepping stone back to F1. Fans right. did not like that. Yeah. And then he wins the 500, one of the biggest 500s in history of the biggest race in America. And then suddenly it's almost as if he goes, oh, wait a minute. I like being a big fish in a big pond. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. But I, I mean, I'm a stay. Like if there was an, if there was an F1 team that he would say yes to, it would like, would would that still ha- yeah, would, no, it wouldn't be manner. It definitely would not be manner. It would, it, with, <laughs> with, with, with an open seat, like it would have to be no, Williams. No, 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 no. I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm thinking from the fact that he has the reserve driver role that he's still pretty close with them. So I was thinking that if okay. manner really, really wanted him back, there's a potential there. Because the, uh, the ties are still pretty close. What do you reckon, King? Based on like what he's said before, like about his position as a like he does not like Manor. He does not like the fact that he got demoted by them. True. He got. He got. He got booed before that. I think he said it before in the press. Like it's, he said, being in IndyCar is much better than getting paid to sit around. Yeah, let's put it this way. I don't think he's going back to F1 for an instant. But let's yeah, not, no, let's he's not. not I don't think he's going back to F1. No way. And I, think, and I think that's the only real question mark over Alexander Rossi at this point, because I think he's got a good place in that Andretti camp right now. I think he's their, he's their second best performer this season. I mean, holy crap. So yeah. that's all you need to do. Rossi, money, I think... Like, I mean, F1's loss. is with the Herter team, come on, I don't. Sorry, I was saying, like, F1's loss has definitely been IndyCar's gain in that regard. But yeah, go on, Johnson. Massively, yeah. Um, well, I, I think the only issue he has over there is that, of course, the whole reason Brian Herter merged that 98 overall with Andretti is that he, had, he was faced with shutting the team down. So Herter himself does not have much money. But surely, if you do a bit of a switcheroo, put Marcus, Marco Andretti over in the 98 under Hurtless stewardship that clears him out from under the feet of his dad mm-hmm. and he can focus on other stuff you bring Rossi over to the main Andretti camp which has a lot more sponsorship on board I mean hell this is a guy who attracted Napa on board for two or three races after he well he attracted them on board for the Indy 500 and then kept them on board for a while so this guy can get sponsors and he has had some solid runs this season so uh, to be honest with you I think you know if he does end up I mean at this point, it almost feels like when you've won the 500 in a race of that scale, you command the landscape. So True. I don't, I don't think he's in danger of, of, of being booted out of that car at all, or no. having to be kind of pushed aside. I think it's more a case of if another team comes calling that can offer him significantly more. And at this point in time, the only guy I can maybe look at, the only team I can maybe look at, is Ed Carpenter Racing. If Joseph Newgarden leaves, that 21 is going to be open, and you wonder if Ed Carpenter's, you know, he's a savvy operator. Um, mm-hmm. obviously he's not going to have him in the 20 car for a carpenter to do the ovals because what's Rossi famous for? Winning an oval race, yeah. Uh, so, but if that 21 is going to be open as people expect it to, maybe that's a contender. But again, is, is ECR that much of a step up from Andretti? No, I don't either. I, I think he probably stays within the Andretti umbrella, if not in the 98. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't, I don't see him moving around. He's in a good place right now. The team loves him. This is exactly what 
the series needs. They need and they need another young, fast American, and they've and they've got one. And he just happened to win the five hundred this year. Yeah, like, it kind of helps. Like the okay. the, o- the only thing I'm nervous about is him not being in the herd of car anymore. Because while you're in a full Andretti car, it's it, it's not a big difference from the herd of car in terms of resources because they share resources. Indeed. But what you lose out on is having Brian Herda as your race engineer, and he's proven this year that his ability to win the 500 wasn't a fluke. Him winning with Weldon in 2011 wasn't a fluke, that he's actually, you know, he's very just, knowledgeable. Yeah. Indeed. Oh, yeah. Like, if you want a race engineer to win the 500 with, you want Brian Herda. Yeah, that's a very yeah. good. That's a very good point. I didn't consider. Do you know what? Maybe that's why Michael's considering moving Marco over there. It's another reason, you know, bring, putting him over to Brian Hurt. It's not just a case of getting him out from under his. The curse. It's a case of, yeah, it's a case of hey, Hurt is a damn good race engineer to have. So if anyone's going to help my boy get back up the rankings, it might well be Brian. The curse. Yeah. The curse. Have to lift the curse. <laughs> but um, yeah, very much so. It's a very good point again. I didn't consider that one either. It's about Sam Hornish, man. Oh, no, no, dear. Right, Chip. Chip Ganassi Racing, CGR. Right, so, the number eight of Max Chilton, unconfirmed. The number nine car of Scott Dixon, confirmed. The number 10 of Tony Kanaan, unconfirmed. The number 83 of Charlie Kimball, expected to continue. So, here's what they say. Kanaan is having the best season of his Ganassi career, at least when measured against his teammate. He went into Watkins Glen ahead of Scott Dixon in the points, only to suffer a cut tyre and finish 19th. So from a performance standpoint, his ongoing claim to the number 10 is solid, and there's chatter that a contract extension could be in the offing once Sonoma is out of the way. The only question marks arise when sponsorship is brought into the equation, and it's this uncertainty that has given rise to the prospect of the seasoned Brazilian plying his trade elsewhere. If he were to leave, where would the team look to fill the seat? Newgarden would be part of the conversation because he seems to be a part of every conversation, but other another option could be a two-time indie-winning Colombian whom Chip has long had on speed dial. Kimball signed a multi-year extension at the end of 2014 and shows every sign of maintaining a strong relationship with longtime sponsor Novo Nordisk, while Chilton plans to start discussions about a new contract as soon as the season is over. So, for me... I feel like three of them are confirmed. I think Chilton will, will get that deal done. I think because Chilton, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's got good money. He's had an okay first season. I think Chilton, I think his Chilton is more green than yellow than to me on this one. I think. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, if you're in the Max Chilton camp, where else do you go that you? Yeah, can get I, I think. Yeah, I think Chilton's probably going to try to stay at Ganassi. I, I, it, it feels like he's trying to negotiate for a one-year deal because Carlin is pretty certain that they want to come up in 2018 when the new chassis comes around so maybe that carlin wants chilton but chilton for that to happen chilton would need to get a one-year deal indeed so yeah you know chilton wants to negotiate himself into a better deal down the road it's a bit like the nba in that regard where people they'll try and negotiate uh, like, like, like LeBron James did this for a little while he would he just negotiate himself a bunch of one year deals every year so he could weigh up the situation going forward and now only this year keep his options open yeah exactly until only this year that he signed the three year extension with Cleveland and become the richest player in the NBA by signing a 100 million dollar contract so <laughs> I think it's the same deal with Chilton here Look, we know Kimball is very well funded with that 83 car Dixon is Dixon no shit um the only question mark here is the number 10 of Tony Kanaan. Now, on performances alone, 
I'm pretty sure until Watkins Glen, only Will Power had scored more points in the second half of the season than Tony Kanaan. Like, Kanaan's had a resurgence the second half of this season. And, like, on performances alone, he's been superb. But does, like, is, NT, is, it, is NTT going to stick around for another year, King? I, they should do, surely, right? <laughs> oh... Like, surely, but then, like, you start thinking, I think we talked about this last episode, where we don't know where the upper limit on age in IndyCar is. Like, how long is Kanan going to be relevant as a driver? Yeah, like, like well, it's, I think another problem as well is that Target are going away from the number nine car, which is almost yeah. unthinkable to not have Target sponsor a, a, an IndyCar mm. for the Chip Ganassi camp, but he's going to be going away, so there needs to be sponsorship going over to the nine car. Does that hit Tony Kanan? Do they go, does NTT data... Is Chip Ganassi basically saying, hey, I need you to sponsor the nine, and they're going, well, we've only got one or the other, we can't sponsor both. So maybe that's yeah, where it's the sponsorship like, problems are arising for Kanan. Like, do we want to sponsor Scott Dixon or 42-year-old Tony Kanan? Yeah, and it's a bit like NFL running backs. You don't really know when the wheels are going to fall off, and when they do, it's painful. Um, so... <sighs> He's been really good this year, TK, but again, he's 42. You can't be thinking long-term with Tony Kanaan at this point because he's 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 going to be in his mid-40s in a couple of years' time. And, you know, they talked about Montoya, and we'll get to him in a minute because he's another guy that's going to have that same question mark probably very soon. I mean, me personally, I'd keep Kanaan, but maybe only on a one-year deal. Just give him rolling one-year deals like they, did, like they did with Mark Webber in Formula One with Red Bull Racing, where they just gave him a rolling one-year contract to, to just assess the situation year after year. Deal. Yeah, because I don't think you want to try and tie Kanan down to three or four-year deals at this point because but he's then again, like, even with Even with Kanan with Montoya, Montoya's only one year younger than Kanan is. Exactly, and that's another problem we'll get to in a minute. But for me, I say keep Kanan on a one-year deal. Agreement, fellas? What do you reckon? Uh, Unless Joseph Newgarden comes into play. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. I was going to say, Newgarden can play spoiler with any of these deals. That's the thing. Like, we, we're going to um, call it the Newgarden clause at this point, I think. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. But, so, as, as we said with uh, Munoz earlier, if you've got Newgarden ready to sign the contract sitting in Chip's office, you keep TK. Yeah, yeah. agreed. It's a nice backup plan to have. Uh, right, Dale's coin. Um, number 18, Connor Daly, unconfirmed. Number 19, Sebastian Bourdais, expected to be confirmed. And I quote, The first real shock of the silly season came in the form of a bespectacled, trophy-laden Frenchman with all signs pointing to four-time champ car champion Sebastian Bourdais ending uncertainty over his future at KVSH by decamping to coin. For now, we're assuming that Bourdais would go into the 19 because daily status in the 18 is unclear. Coin insists that he'll have a two-car fleet again next year, but this is the bird. But is the bird fund of the 18 dependent upon daily being in the car? Maybe. Could Edison return? Maybe. Could Spencer Piggott be drafted in if he doesn't continue on at ECR? Maybe. Seriously, we could go on like this forever. End quote. <laughs> So, it's all question marks at coin. And now, for those that don't know, it seems that, I mean, Daly's been the consistent figure in the car this year, but the 19 car seems to have been like the pay driver car. It goes to the highest bidder for that race, etc. 
Um, we've had Chavez RCS. has been in that car a few times. Yeah, Chavez, Anderson, Pippa Man, obviously. Um, yeah, we've had we've had a plethora of talent in the 19 car over the last two or three years. Um, Luca Filippi is another example. We've we've seen a lot of guys in there. I mean, the question mark here is is that what car is Bordet going to? Is he going to be in the 18 or the 19? Shout out to King's phone. Um, like that, that, that might be Sebastian phoning to tell us. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like no, 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 sorry guys, it's the it's, it's the nineteen. You can all breathe easy. Yay! <laughs> Unfortunately, that wasn't my boy. Damn it! Um, so Danny Brennan continues to bite his nails somewhere. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. But um, I think this is going to all come down to what cardboard A goes in. And it would be a real shame if Daly had to lose his seat over this. Um, but I, I mean, my gut tells me it's the 19 because why not have some consistency in, in, in the coiling up for the first time in freaking years? Forget the ghost of Francesco Draconi and have a really great lineup of Daly and Bourdais. I mean, that's a really strong lineup. <sighs> yeah, see, the last time that Coin had two full season drivers, uh, you know, run every single race was 2014 with Carlos Hurtas and Justin Wilson. 2015, they were all over the place. They had one, two, three, four, seven drivers across the two across the two cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not even including Pippa Mann running her standard 63 guest ride at the Indy 500. Um, you know, they had Hurtas, Rocky Moran Jr., Daly, Gonzalez, Votier, Dracone, and James Davison. So this year, you know, what was really cool about it was that, you know, they, he was able to sign a sponsor who could kind of go, right, okay, I don't have to rely on the driver bringing the money. I've got the sponsor. He, they're paying for the car. They're putting daily in it. Brilliant. The 19 was the one that was still up in the air. So if Bordeaux's bringing over sponsors as well, if he's bringing someone along, that's great. The question is, if it's Bird going, we want Bordeaux over there, is that because they're not happy with Connor Daly? As you said, it would be unbelievably harsh. He's not leading the Rookie of the Year standings, mainly because Rossi blew that wide open with the Indy 500 win. But this kid's had uh, five top ten finishes this year, two of them top fives, one of them being a second in Detroit, the other one being a fourth at Watkins Glen last time out. This mm-hmm. guy's done just about as much as you could expect from a rookie, well, a guy running his first full rookie season in the championship. There's not, really much more he, he, there's not really much more he could have done, especially as the IndyCar is generally a place where more experienced drivers flourish. You don't get guys doing a kind of Max Verstappen and coming in, you know, tearing the field wide open in their first season. You know, right. they take their knocks and they gradually rise up from the bottom. Do you know what I mean? So in terms of this being a first full season of a daily, I think he's done just about as well as anyone could have hoped. So... Indeed, indeed. King, what's your two cents on the situation? Oh, it's... It it would be nice for maybe that, like, having two solid drivers, having, you know, Daly and Bourdais would be kind of coins, you know foundation to maybe saying yeah we're going to be a mid we're going to be you know more of an upper midfield team we're going to get more podiums we're going to maybe get a win mm-hmm. i kind of feel like Bordeaux would slot into the position that justin wilson used to hold with the team as that experienced guy who's capable of race wins and it's, it's a good sort of team leader do you know what i mean yeah 
Sure, sure. Um, so again, it, for, I think for Coin, it just all it all comes down to that 18 car and what's going on with Daly. I can only hope they keep him, but we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Ed Carpenter racing. Well, sorry, before no, we move on, no. what's interesting about that is is the amount of names that were mentioned alongside. You know, all of those drivers are in are in the transfer market as well. If not going to Coin, going to somewhere else. You've got Piggott, Ennison, mm-hmm. who've been very impressive. Those guys. There's a lot over there. It's, I mean, Coin is one of those ones with a lot of question marks, just because historically they don't have that much of a secure driver lineup year to year. Indeed, that's a, that's a very good point as well. Um, right, Ed Carpenter racing. The number twenty of Ed Carpenter is confirmed. The number twenty-one of Joseph Newgarden obviously is not. Um, so here's the quote. As the guy with his name on the door, Carpenter will drive the number 20 on ovals for as long as he wants to, and the only question mark over that side of the garage is what he'll do with the car on the road in street weekends. But Joseph Newgarden is the key to the whole silly season. Surprise, surprise. It's easy to imagine him being high on Honda's wish list, and while Andretti has declared its interest, HPD's best hope of landing a Tennessean could be if Ganassi switches from Chevy. And Penske? From Newgarden's standpoint, it's easy to see the appeal of moving to the team that just won the championship, although whether Penske will have a seat available remains unclear. All of this assumes that he doesn't stay where he is. If an opportunity with a bigger team isn't forthcoming, Newgarden has already proven that he's more than capable of winning races at ECR, and Carpenter will be pulling out all stops to remind him of that. And about the only thing that's certain is that his departure would leave a hole that ECR might find very difficult to fill. Well, we've got to address this, folks. It's the 21 of Joseph Newgarden. What the hell do you do if you're in his spot right now? Oh, I mean... (laughs) If 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 Penske's calling, I'd go. (laughs) Well, if if this is like IndyCar's version of Jorge Lorenzo to Ducati, isn't it? Indeed. Like in a kind of way that could blow the silly season wide open. I feel like we're speculating in a similar way. I think Newgarden has more than proven that he's good enough to go to one of the top teams, to one of the big two. I mean, if you can, Andretti, the big three as well. It's just, which one does he go? All of them have potential openings. That's what makes this really interesting. We've talked at least, there's at least one, well, we haven't talked about Penske yet, but there is at least one seat potentially in the offing for all of them. And if you're one of those guys, you have to sit there, you know, especially if you're someone like Penske, who has quite an aging driver lineup, very experienced, very good, obviously, but quite an aging driver lineup. Do you go, well, hang on a minute, Newgarden's just turned, what is it, 26? Mm-hmm. He, is, he is a young guy in IndyCar terms, and yet he has had a phenomenal pair of seasons. That's the important bit. Not just one season, he's been a phenomenal, he's had a phenomenal pair of seasons. And for the second season in a row, he, along with Graham Rahal, has kind of spearheaded the best of the non-Penske Ganassi runners category. They've been up there with the Andretti. In fact, Newgarden's beating all the Andretti guys, as is Rahal. And, you know, we're assuming Rahal's not moving anywhere from his dad's team. Of course. Why would he? Um, Newgarden's out of contract. And at this point, if you're Newgarden, you know, you, you've got good resources there, but you know that if you really want to tilt for a championship, and you must feel at this point that you're good enough to do that, you want the phone call from Penske or Ganassi. I wouldn't even put Andretti in this conversation. But, you know, it sounds harsh on them. But I think you'd still be tempted if Andretti call up. But if one of Penske, if if Roger or Chip get on the phone, he's going to their offices to have a very interesting talk. And I think poor old Ed Carpenter has got... I think Carpenter's basically praying 
that Penske and Ganassi go, we're happy with our lot. Because if they do that, I think Ed finds his job of keeping him a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No question. I mean, it, I'm with King. If Penske answers, if, 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 if Roger Penske calls you, you answer the call, uh, quite frankly. And you all know Penske are, the, are the, 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 the best team in the business. They have such an established juggernaut setup there that... New Garden would be going there and be winning races immediately, no question. But with New Garden, it's not a matter I think of Ganassi on a similar level as well. But I think Penske at the moment just shade it. But for me, New Garden doesn't need Penske. He can win anywhere. But I do remember one very important quote that he said, and I think it was during Mid Ohio qualifying, where he qualified in third, just behind Pagano and Power. And the quote he said to Robin Miller was, "We just needed that little bit more." And exactly that top one percent and yeah. like I, I think it to put it this way sure he could win races at ed carpenter racing but he isn't going to win a championship at ed carpenter racing that's a no. very and it's, that's a very good way of putting it and as much as indycar is incredibly competitive with a lot of different teams winning races all of the recent champions have pretty much come from either Penske or Ganassi, with Andretti being the third member in there. Yeah. So that's the thing that has got to be weighing on New Garden's mind. And he's right in the prime of his career as well. That's the thing you've got to consider as well. Mm-hmm. Indeed. So I'll move on. I'll, I'll readdress a bit, a bit more of New Garden in a bit, but I want to move on a little down the list a little bit more. KVSH, the number 11 car, unknown. It's... <laughs> The, is the only one that even knows if that's yeah, going to be a thing? It's great. It's like it's probably safe to assume that KVSH were, was blindsided by Sebastian Bourdais' plans to return to Coin next year, given that Jimmy Vassar has been making optimistic noises about keeping the Frenchman just two weeks earlier. But in the same story, Vassar also admitted that the team doesn't have its financial ducks in a row for next year yet. If this if was this if it was this uncertainty that spooked Bourdais which leaves a question mark over the team's plans for 2017. It's entertaining to contemplate what might happen if someone like Montoya or Karam joined forces with Vassa, but right now, the status of the number 11 is anybody's guess. Anyone want to guess? <laughs> I don't know, like, for some reason, my gut feeling is like Ed Jones. That's not a bad shout. I think, I think it's going to come from the... I think it was going to be someone like... Chavez or R.C. Ennison, yeah. someone from the coin revolving door who's clearly had some money and some talent to bring in. Clearly, they're, they're looking for someone with money to bring to the seat. I don't think they're desperate enough to go for someone like Draconi yet. I hope they're not anyway. Uh, no one is that desperate, surely. Um, but I think it's interesting. I, I think the, the link to Sage Karam is very interesting because apparently Jimmy Vass is a big fan. But we've been talking about this, uh, you know, off, off broadcast for the last few weeks. Karam's heart doesn't appear to be in IndyCar racing at all anyway. So mm. it would have to rely. If, if Karam's that determined to get back into the support, then maybe the 11th of the way. But at the moment, he's signed on as a Lexus factory sports car driver, but their GT program has been delayed till next year. So he's having to sit tight until then. You know, he's we we know he's had a tough time of it since last year. We we know he had a rough time of it last year. You know, losing a ride and being involved in someone else's tragedy is just you, you should never wish that on anyone. So it, it depends on what headspace Sage is in, and if Jimmy reckons he's the man to turn it around, and if he brings money. I think honestly, whoever drives that eleven next year has to bring some sort of sponsorship. Has to. Yeah. They ain't got their money. Unless they, unless they beg Hydroxy Cup for something, I suppose. Um, for, yeah, that's but, the question. Uh, yeah, that's... Are Hydroxy Cup going with Bordeaux? <laughs> Ooh. 
that might also be a problem. <laughs> it's not well, looking good for the KBSA. No, not at all, but that could also help daily because if Hydroxycut go overboard day, then that means that could have more of a likelihood of securing the 19, leaving daily open to keep the 18 with Bird. Who knows? Who knows? This, this is why I wanted to talk about the silly season. It's really starting to get interesting. Yeah, the, the 11 card is like the wild card here in this situation. That mm. alone is very interesting. ROL, pretty boring here. Number 15, Graham Rahal. Of course he's confirmed. <laughs> Team cover. Like, like, come on now. Like, Team co-owner Bobby Rahal expresses an interest in adding a full-time teammate for Graham Rahal every year, but only if doing so will benefit the 15 program. If that driver and their budget materialise, look for a second car. Translation, we want someone to be Graham's bitch. Basically. <laughs> I mean, it's fair enough. I, don't, I, I feel like... Graham probably has first veto over, you know, it's like, hey, we might have a package to bring this guy in. Is he going to be a good number two to me? Uh, I don't know. They're no, probably they not. Want, they want someone position, yeah, yeah, they're sorry, yeah, they, they want someone to roll over for him. They want someone to roll over and give Graham Rahal feedback to make him better. Like, it, like, yeah, if somebody... let's be real here. I mean, Graham's a star in his own right over there. He's had some very strong performances. He's pretty much leading the Honda charge right now on his own for that team. You know, Rahal, Letterman, and Lanigan don't need to add a second car at this point, so they do have the luxury of choice. And I do get the feeling that Graham would probably be the sort of de facto team leader over there. So, oh, you think? Comes in, <laughs> I, it's just a sense I've got. <laughs> How, that's a, yeah, I mean... Pff. I, I put it in a little bit of uh, more fruity terms, but they want someone to roll over for Graham, basically, in that team. They're only going to hire somebody if they think they can actually help Graham out. And Graham doesn't need no help. He's a race winner on his own terms. He's an excellent driver. And yeah, I, I just assumed from the phrasing that they would hire someone if it meant it didn't take away resources from Graham. Ex exactly. Yeah, but as well. We we all know who we all know where the eggs in the basket are with with that program. So you know, it's it's it's, it's Bobby Rahal and Santa Claus. So you know, all hail the, the trio of Graham Rahal. Also shout out to him for his America comments on Twitter, which I did not appreciate the other day. That's yeah. what I will say. Yeah, fact, yeah, Graham. Yeah, no, just no. Right, Schmidt Peterson Motorsports, everyone's favourite hipster team. <laughs> the number five, James Hinchcliffe, is indeed confirmed that Michaela Lotion is expected to continue. Wait, what? There's no controversy here? Damn! Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, you guys are no fun, Wait, SPM. <laughs> yes. Schmidt yes. likes his voice. <laughs> Who doesn't? Uh, <laughs> I mean, Lotion has been superb in the second half of the season, and Hinch is motherfucking Hinch. Yes, and like I said, the, the team intends to keep Lotion, and unless he wanted to take his SMP racing sponsorship and move to Ganassi, assuming that there's space, it's hard to see where the Russian could go that's any better than where he is. Hinchcliffe's contract runs through 2017. So yeah, nothing to talk about here, really. Let's move on. Also, they've got a really nice team for next year, as, as it stands. Hinchcliffe's had a very good season and Elotion has been superb in the second half so there'll be ones to yeah. keep an eye on for next year for sure there might be another like Simon Pagano-esque situation going on there at SPM right the last major player Team Penske there's a lot of green here but there's one great big yellow in here the number two, the number three, Helio Castroneves, expected to continue. Will Power and Simon Pagina were already confirmed for next year. The number two, Juan Pablo Montoya, unconfirmed. Dun, dun, dun. 
Penske president Tim Sindrick says that he aims to keep all of all of the current four drivers in the Penske program next year, but that could be interpreted any number of ways. P.S. King, don't say that on Twitter. Sindrick might actually find you again. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> and that ambiguity only serves as a breeding ground for speculation. Most of it surrounds the status of Castro Nevis and Montoya. After all, remaining in the program, as Sindrick put it, doesn't necessarily mean full-time IndyCar driver, especially with Joseph Newgarden walking around as a free agent. Although Penske generally doesn't talk about driver contracts, it's believed that Castro Neves has one more year on his current deal, so expect the number two entry to be at the centre of any upheavals. So, it's the big one. Do they keep Montoya? Hmm. <laughs> After this year, no. Wow, Johnson, didn't, he didn't even hesitate on that one. You said him, you'd drop Montoya just like that. I don't... I think he's in... The problem is he's in the TK scenario, yet he doesn't have the performances of TK to back it up. But he was really you good last I mean? year. <laughs> he was really good I know, like, I know it's a what have you done for me lately kind of case, but Montoya led 50 to the 16 rounds last year. It's like, it's like will the real Montoya please drive last fast? Last year, Dre, last year. I what were you just talking about, about all the drivers falling off the cliff? It's true. Maybe Montoya's hit the cliff. Uh, he's, he's been so unspectacular this year. Um, started great at, at St. Pete, but has not looked the same guy he was last year that, that completely the dominated the season. The problem is, there, there's that note right in there. You've got Newgarden potentially as a free agent, and you know that if Sindrick picks up the phone and says, yeah, can I get Joseph's agent, please? Joseph's ears are going to prick right up and go, well, I think we can do business. Because why would you not? I mean, the last time that Penske kind of went outside of his camp to bring in great talent was Pagano. Uh, was it 2015 he brought him in? Yeah. yeah. Um, after, you know, Pagano had a breakout few years at uh, Schmidt-Peterson. And I get the same sense here. You know, Penske, Penske's kind of like Ferrari in Formula One. They don't bring in raw, un, un, untried talent. They bring in proven race-winning talent. And Newgarden is proven race-winning talent. He's young. He's incredibly marketable. Mm-hmm. He fits the bill. And if you, you know, it's harsh. It is very harsh. I like Montoya as much as anyone. And I know there's a lot of guys, especially on Formula One heads, who Montoya is like their first go-to when they come to IndyCar because of the F1 nostalgia. But I think he's in the Tony Kanaan spot. He's getting to be, he's one of the older stages of the mm-hmm. series. But he doesn't have the great drives that Kanaan's had to make you go, hmm, but do you at least keep Kanaan around because he's still good? I do. <laughs> Montoya around when New Garden's there, hoping that Montoya gets that fire back again. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. King, if somebody put a gun to your head right now, Montoya or New Garden, who do you take? Oh, New Garden. <laughs> like, wow. like, if it's a choice between my, like, if it's Montoya or New Garden, I'm picking New Garden. If it's Montoya or, like, replacement level IndyCar driver, I'm taking Montoya. Like, you, you mm. know what the other option is. Yes. I mean, okay. so, sorry out there, RJ, but you're bored. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I can't lie. If it was me, I would take New Garden as well. I'm not quite as down on the Monty as my peers are here, but I can't lie to you. Um, I would probably take Monty. Oh, um, I'd probably take Monty to go over New Garden. I'd probably take New Garden in that f- number two car. in the points this year. That's not good. That's not good, like, especially given that like his other boys are like way. first, second, and what fourth. Yeah. 
let's put it this way. Penske going into this year was putting heat on Simon Pagano, saying that he'd cut bait on the weakest of the four drivers. He said, you know, don't think you guys have got guaranteed slots here. Right. And he meant that towards Pagano, and look at how Pagano's responded. But conversely, it's Montoya that's now in the danger zone, and he doesn't have youth on his side. Indeed. And like I said, when, when Penske made that statement, it was mostly a shot at Pagano more than anything else. It was obvious where that was going. But um, the rest of the column here is talking about potential young talents and they could possibly get in there for a 500 or maybe for a full-time drive. Shelby Blackstock is there. He's taking his time at Andretti. Gabby Chavez has raced part-time with Dale Coyne, as has R.C. Ennison. Jack Harvey's not racing full-time at the moment, but he's he's a two-time Indy Lights runner-up. J.R. Hildebrand could maybe be doing a 500 again. People probably will next I year. I want him to win an Indy 500 one time. God damn it, yes. Just um, because I don't it, want his prevailing memory to be of 2011 i want him to win one and be like yes i finally did it indeed um you've got spencer piggott who's had a pretty solid first year with um obviously with the three races for rll and then the rest of the year with carpenter he's done a pretty solid job there stoneman was in indy lights had a wretched second half of the season but was strong in the first half um santi um Uritia, again again right up in the championship to ed jones who's got the guaranteed three seat deal could Carlin factor in here? Because I, I know I know you talked about Carlin a little bit here before, and it was a question that a friend of the show, Luke Frost, sent in, in the in the in the mailbag, saying, "Do you think Carlin could join next year?" Heard rumours of either a one or two car entry. Um, oh. I think you alluded to it to an earlier King, saying that you know they could do 2018 with a new chassis on tap, as opposed to this year. Um, but with three seats, like, like with three guaranteed races for Ed Jones, now he's won the championship. Could that be like the guarantee? Like, could that be the trigger to maybe push Garlin to maybe go in early? Now they've got those guaranteed seats there. Like, if Carlin goes in early, it would probably be for a part-time stint. It wouldn't be for a full year. It'd be literally the three races that they got the funding to do. Okay, so maybe not a full season just yet, but. Yeah. Uh, uh, mm. It's a shame as well. Like, I think the water uh, effort, indeed, because I, as I think like, it, it annoys. Like, RJ talked about this on our Slack chat, but he made a very solid point where he said, "You know what? Indy Lights is bustling with talent right now. You've got Ed Jones, you've got Santa Uritia, and you've you've got you know guys like Stoneman, Zach like Beach. like Harvey, like and like Ennison, like Chavez. They're all fighting for seats. IndyCar needs another team." They need another team because there's so much talent and there's so hard for them to get a look in now. That's the problem. That's, that's the impression I get anyway. Yeah, it's like, it, I wouldn't say that they need another team. They need the smaller teams to run more cars. That, that helps too. Um, or be able to hire based more on talent rather than needing these guys to bring sponsorship in as well. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And that's the problem because, again, there's so much promising talent in there um, that, you know... Somebody big is going to miss out on Fortune. That's that's just the nature of it all. But uh, a lot to talk about of IndyCar season. I'm sure we'll, we'll tackle more of it once the season ends at the end of next week. And we are back and welcome to the mailbag where we answer your questions sent in by you, the fans. Remember, we, we ask for them all over the place. Just 
contact us anywhere on social media facebook twitter all of that good stuff and i'm I'm sure we'll get to you eventually we're a little bit pushed for time on this one so we're not going to get time to get through all your questions but uh we'll have an ask fm page for that soon in the in the works so so, you know we'll we'll be we'll be more serviceable in that regard so to speak but um let's get to your questions and first of two questions from brian glennon uh on facebook who asks First of two questions, this one will be for King and Johnson. Do you like the idea of the chase and its NCAA elimination style format in NASCAR? If so, would you want to see it in other forms of motorsport? <laughs> King? Oh, okay. My I would say... You can take... Yeah, I could go first. The chase. Um... I I like the original format of the chase where they didn't have like in chase eliminations like maybe like to to always have a winner take off an alley where literally it's down to that one race it's it's just too much for me but the original format where it was you know like a mini championship that was good Uh, to see it in other series I don't think it would work in any other series like the only reason why it works in NASCAR because it's a 36 race season that the season's just so long that you need to have something in there Formula One would flip their shit if this became the format. They would <laughs> like they went they Formula went flip they went, double points. They went crazy over one double points race. An elimination playoff format they would blow their minds. <laughs> I still I still remember when they what made it oh god, when they when they increased the amount of points for a win. Like people lost their shit over that. Yeah. Oh, I went from like 10 to 25 yeah when I went from 10 it? to 25 and points down to but 10 that was a good move yeah that was mm-hmm. in the long That's run exactly that was a good done. yeah in the, in the long run that was a good move but it, when it first happened people were losing their mind and it and then like like oh it should all like you'll devalue the points if you put it down to 10th yeah something along those lines something crazy like Go that on, whatever um Right, um, Adam Weller. Go on, go on, go on. I want you to rant first. Go on, go on. It's all yours, mate. I'm just about warmed up now. I think the current chase format is one of the worst things to ever happen to NASCAR. Oh, wow. (laughs) Basically, I'm not going to hold back. I have hated it since its inception. When it was first announced at the start of 2014, I said NASCAR had jumped the shark, and nothing since then has changed my opinion. The problem is, for me... I wasn't a fan of having a chase altogether. I was a real purist. But as King said, this is the format that made me like the old one Mm -hmm. because uh, there are multiple, multiple things wrong with it. As we've seen so far with the fact that NASCAR have had to make up rules on the fly. Mm -hmm. uh, The fact is last year, as incredible a story as it was, and I, you know, in context of what the rules were set out for him, Kyle Busch winning the championship last year, coming back from injury, amazing. The problem is you had a story where a guy who missed almost half the season won the championship. That's never going to go down well. That goes against every single logic in motorsport. Mm-hmm. You have this nonsense situation where guys who, like, I, I love the fact Chris Buescher won a race this year. That's great. However, he's now contending for a championship when he was 30th in the regular season points. Wow. That's not like any other playoff system in the yeah. world. So it's not even comparable to stick and ball sports. That'd be like, I mean, King, help me out here. You're the, more of the expert like, on the NFL uh, and the NBA. It, it'd be like like a team that just broke even at 500 like making the playoffs like Chris Bush or team at the like, bottom of one of the conferences yeah like the reason why Chris Busher is in the chase is because he won one race that's it he won one race and he met the rule that you have to be in the top 30 in points that is literally it and I mean mm. we, it, it, it's it 
it's a flawed logic. It devalues the regular season. They were talking this year about a reason for maybe declining attendances and interest. The top drivers are admitting that once you get those wins, you don't have to give a shit about the rest of the regular season. You're in no matter what. So they have actually admitted that. The top drivers are like, eh, you know what? And that, to me, devalues it. And they wonder why people aren't very, really interested in regular season races outside of the big ones like the Daytona 500 and now the Southern 500. Uh, even the cutoff race has lacked interest the last few years. It's not like we've had anyone play spoiler and win and you're in at the last minute. Then we get into the actual chase itself. The elimination format is ridiculous because you have this convoluted scenario where literally an entire season can go down the toilet after one bad performance because you have this ridiculous three races, all the points reset. So literally, yeah, yeah. So, past, so, so, seeding, so seeding doesn't even matter. So like during the no. regular season, like they technically have seeding where like if you win, you know, a, you, you get bonus points for every certain amount of races you win. That doesn't matter in the chase because after three races, the points reset. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's that as well. The the whole going down to a final four every single year, we're guaranteed a four-way championship showdown. That for me, as as King said, it's nonsense. It devalues the, the championship showdown because compare it to something like 1992 where Alan Kowicki won the title by five points over Bill Elliott or even in the chase era, 2011, where Tony Stewart and Carl Edwards went down to a tiebreaker. That was a great championship finale, but it came about due to, it was an organically unfolding drama. Mm-hmm. Now it's a case of every single year, it's, it's, it's artificial. But, it's but cranked like, up. It's, the, the weird thing is that the guys who make the chase are, are, you know, the best in the sport. And it's weird because it just sort of randomizes. Yeah. yeah. Like you, you rarely ever see a non chase driver win a chase race where like during the playoffs, like mainly the playoff guys win. I think out of the 120 chase races there have been, it's only 20 chase non chase drivers have won. So it's like one out of every 10 chase. Like it's usually once a year, once a chase, a non chase wow. guy wins. That's crazy. But so there's, there's that as well. Uh, and to be honest with you, I'm just... There's, it, I've, I've said it all along. The chase is great for raw emotional moments, but it just flies in the face of logic too much for me to accept it. Yeah. Um, I can relate as a BSB fan with the showdown format. I was over say, there. that's the only other major series that I know that have adopted a playoff system. There, it's, it's a playoff system. For those of us that don't know, I'll explain it very quickly. Over the course of the first, I think, 15 races of the season, you, it's a conventional MotoGP-style scoring system, 25, 20, 16, etc. But what happens is, after Alton Park, um, the, the triple header at Alton Park, they shut the leaderboard down. The top six are then only... Only the top six are eligible to, for, the, for the championship. They reset their point total to 500, so they're basically unassailable from the rest of the field, and they get given podium credits based on how well they've done in the previous, and in inverted commas, regular season rounds. It's five points for a win... Well, they're, called them, they're called them podium credits. Five podium credits for a win, three for second, and one for third. They get added to that 500-point total, and then those six riders will compete for the championship over the last seven rounds, standard scoring from that point onwards. Now, it's a it's a format that's caused a problem because you've had guys like Shaky Burns still make the show now despite having injuries in season where they've missed four or yeah, five like races. Yeah, it last year. Yeah, yeah. and... Another problem was it can be vastly uncompetitive for a developing team because we saw it last year with Josh Brooks, who 
whose Yamaha got stupidly good in the middle of last season and then won six out of the seven showdown rounds and completely dominated and won it early. Meaning when we and Johnson went for the final day of the championship last year, the season was already over. Like they were already... Do you know what, Dre? Do you know what's farcical about the NASCAR system? Go on. If Brooks, if, if BSB had been running the current NASCAR chase system, Brooks would still have lost the championship. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter if you win the first nine chase races you lose that 10th yeah. one it's all over yeah. that's what i don't like yeah. about it it literally reduces it's almost like the entire season you get to this you've been emotionally invested for this long and then you go oh well what was the point it's in like that who's then? the best at miami <laughs> exactly exactly it's literally whoever's the best at homestead indeed and johnson made that point because brooks crashed in the final round of the championship round three at brands hatch the final race of the season and it didn't matter because he was already... They, they were so far ahead, he was already given permission by Paul Bird to run the number one plate in the on the final day just to show <laughs> off. I mean, that's how over the season was by that point. So, yeah, I can I can relate. I don't like the format even from what I've sound of it. But, uh, yeah, there you go. Friend of the show, Chris Cook, sent in a great segue question from a segment we had to cut. Um, serious question. What do you think will happen to F1 social media with Liberty? Non-serious. When will Judge Winder get a guest spot on the show? <laughs> <laughs> one, we don't speak of that. One day, one day, I will mention that story on this podcast. Today is not that day. Which is the greatest story never told on Motorsport 101. Exactly. Like, like g- give, it, give it six months, maybe we'll be able to talk about it. Exactly. When we're doing that, hang out for episode 101 yeah, there you go next year motorsport 101's 100th episode we'll we'll do it then but um on serious question what said f1 social media with liberty king i think this one's for you because um i know you studied that uh, press release very closely well uh mainly the the new chairman uh oh god what's his name chase chevy chase carry where he says that uh he doesn't feel like uh f1 doesn't capitalize on digital media enough and it's like he says it's a very small percentage of f1's um revenue and it could be much much larger in terms of revenue they take in and just like sheer exposure that that basically that f1's turned off that f1 turning off digital media has been mainly a negative for the sport indeed and i think uh, that's promising because we on this show and on our hackout we did on Monday, State of the Sport, which is you should really check out on YouTube if you haven't already. Um, we mentioned that F1 is seriously far behind on digital media and social media and output. So if they've addressed that as a problem, that's definitely a, a positive sign going forward for sure. Yeah, he, he called F1's current financial model extremely low risk. <laughs> Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, which is amazing because again, we talked about it on the on on the hangout that you know, F one pretty much put all its eggs in the same basket with TV, thinking that TV is going to be around forever. When in actuality, it, as we're seeing now in 2016, la- live sports becoming the last bastion of live television at this point, and you know, the like much bigger sports are now moving to digital platforms and streaming services. So. Yeah, I mean, again, if we've acknowledged that as an issue, that's definitely, I'll take that as a positive. Because um, they'll, they'll never do something about that for sure. But um, anything else you guys would want to speculate about? Oof. Put the races online. <laughs> the races online. Like, if that could be a thing, that'd be amazing. NASCAR and IndyCar upload their old races online. I'm not talking about a full WWE network, although if any motorsport could sustain that, it would be F1. 
but I think they've got to, like, Bernie's made it clear he doesn't care about the younger generation, and that's absolutely fine. He's allowed to say that. Yeah, I think he's still jilted about that whole what F1 digital project that went was terrible. I mean, it was it was which, if anything, was too. Yeah, it was it was ahead of time and he just, you know, got burned. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's maybe that's part of the fear of it all, really, uh, more than anything else. But uh, yeah, definitely a good sign going forward if uh, that ever becomes a thing. Again, like th- to be fair to F1, their social media has gotten better in the last couple of years in terms of uh, you know it actually exists. Well, I mean, like, that's like, a position of non-existent. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you know it helps, but you know and all that. But uh, one for you guys, I think, for the hipster crowd. Adam Weller, friend of the show, has messaged in. We're going to get him on a show very soon, by the way. So stay tuned for that. But um, will GT3 cars be in a similar position to the GT machines of the 60s in terms of value and desirability in 2066? <laughs> in 2060? No. You don't think so? You don't think the GTE, the GT3 well, cars? Will- I think the problem they've got is that the cars of the 1960s, the GT cars that we love, like the Ford GT4s, the Ferraris, the you know the old. Um, uh, Lotuses, you know, Jaguars, things like that. They were the top cars at the time. And the problem is the GT cars now don't have that exclusivity because the Le Mans prototypes are the top category. I think the GT3 cars will have their place in the future. But I mean, historic cars I mean popular the, the LMP cars, you could never dream of owning. The GT3 cars right now, you could go out and buy them. True. That's very true. So they could have a, a, a history on the historic circuit. Also, trust Adam Weller to ask a question about GT racing. <laughs> He is, that's more typecast than me talking about NASCAR. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. But uh, yeah, interesting question. You made up. Yeah, yeah, Adam, we will get you on very soon. I know you've been asking. I, I trust me, we do want you on the show at some point. Is you haven't got around to Whoa, it? Whoa, he's been asking. Like I've Adam been asking to have him on. Yeah, both of us. It's, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, I, I ask you, I ask him. Yeah, we all want, we all want this to happen. It's a good thing. Um, Sadie was asking about that the motorbike draft the other day as well. He we was talking about that, so we've got to put that on. on um, we've got to kick that into gear at some point as well. Yeah. Um, last question of the show goes to Connor Pink, who asks, "How much longer do you think Honda and McLaren will put up with not being at the front before ending their relationship? And if this were to happen, what do they do next?" Oh God, I, I like Honda. It's, it's easy for them. It's just you know we're not just not gonna do this anymore. We have tons of other projects with Mercedes. I mean with with McLaren. I don't know what they do. They're they're like go back to Mercs. Yeah, they they crawl back, begging them. to Mercs. They're, but the problem is, another team would have to make way with their Mercs power for 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 McLaren to get back in. Oh, they, the they could rules. easily just they could easily just buy out Manners, you know, deal like that. sure, sure. But I mean, uh, I, I give it until like twenty twenty. Like if things don't turn sure. around by twenty twenty. Five-year plan. That works. That yeah. works. Well, that's, still, they've still got time. There's like, there's going to be new, what is it, new aero and slightly tweaked engine regs in the next few years. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. So they're, they're due for a kind of renewal. So, but we've we've spoken about it before. The problem is Honda just started so far behind the eight ball. They're still, they're slowly catching up, but everyone's still making gains themselves. But I think by 2018, they might be in the sort of top five category. But it's. It's difficult. It's about how long Honda has the patience for. They they certainly have a lot more patience than Renault and Nissan did. Mm-hmm. Uh, with their, you know, that's why I said when Renault were talking about longevity in F1, I kind of laughed because I was like, tell that to the Nissan Le Mans program. <laughs> but um, 
I don't know. I think Honda are involved in enough stuff worldwide that if F1 doesn't work out, as King said, they can pull the plug. But McLaren, they'd be in the sort of Red Bull situation from last year. Like, hey, we don't need Mercedes anymore. We're going with Honda. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely intriguing. As I said, on Honda's side, it's easy. We're just making this engine to the best of our ability and hopefully McLaren do the hard work for us. But, um, yeah, it's it's intriguing to see how that's going on. I'm going to be interested to see how, how long McLaren can take with not being a top three team. I mean, they've already gone four years as it is now. So we'll have to see how, long, how much longer their patience will hold out. That will just about do it for this episode of Motorsport 101. Um, we've already gone way too long as it is, but um, if, you didn't, if your question didn't get answered, apologies, we were already running really tight for time. Sorry about that. We, we don't normally like going this long, but I didn't think we were going to go this long in the first place, but IndyCar season was, ended up going longer than I thought it was going to. So, yeah, we're sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sorry about that, guys. I promise we'll get to you next week. Um, we'll probably, I may not be able to promise that because we've got Formula One in Singapore and the IndyCar season finale next week. That might be a problem. Yeah. Um, but as I said, check us out on YouTube, Facebook, and Patreon forward slash motorsport 101 is the place to find all of those we're on twitter at motorsport underscore 101 we have johnson on twitter aj underscore bomber sports ryan king at ryan eric king me at harrison 101 hd new series on youtube starting later this week again it's probably already up by the time you're listening to this but uh, check that out if you haven't already subscribe please subscribe and any of the thousand that'd be awesome but again for me andre harrison ryan king and adam johnson thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you guys next time sayonara Bye.